and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, it's been three long months, but we're back to doing a video game draft, this time on fucking hard mode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree with that sentiment. Um, how are you feeling about the fact that we're back uh, back in the drafting process? Are you excited to be doing this again? Uh, yes, difficult. It is a difficult one, though. Um, and I feel like I'm on very unsteady ground and I'm gonna well no I'm not gonna reveal myself as as not as not knowing what I'm talking about I've never claimed to know what I was talking about with certain (laughs) you know with regards to certain things my counter argument to this whole draft is that if you played loads of PC games in the 90s you were clearly rich so yuck (laughs) so you've made it about class (laughs) I have if you think we don't know about enough about PC games it's because you are a higher class than us. I, I refuse to feel bad about that. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, renowned working class hero Matthew Castle. Well, from... you know. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's fine. I, I get what you mean. So this is the 90s PC gaming draft. Yeah. Like, um, we, we basically put it to our Patreon um, uh, supporters at patreon.com slash backpagepod. Get those uh, two free. Uh, not they're not free. They're two <laughs> two paid extra podcasts a month uh, if you want to support us. But uh, we let all of our um, patrons basically vote on uh, on the the kind of draft order this year. And this is far and away the one they picked. Um, and it's interesting because it's probably the one I wanted to do the least. Not because <laughs> I'm not interested in the subject, but because I knew it would be the hardest to like research and right. be on steady ground with. And I, I feel like it's the same for you, Matthew. Just because a lot of the stuff in this happened slightly before I'm like mega up on games. So there I are some say, like, slightly games. before I'm mega born. <laughs> <laughs> no, sadly I was born in the late eighties, so um, <laughs> yeah. that's not true. I'm not a zoomer. I am uh, a crusty old millennial with no house. Um, so yes, <laughs> that's me. Um, but I am excited to be doing it because even though this one took quite a lot of research and thought, um, the game selection is like maybe the most varied of the drafts we've done so far in terms of like the categories we did pick um as people as we'll get to are like so rich with stuff that it becomes a case of like i'm i'm less worried about what matthew will grab first and more like how do i curate a list out of this massive massive pile of things is that kind of how you saw it too yeah there's there's a category definitely a couple of categories in there where they are so not my bag that I'm, you know, like totally faking it, and you know, I, I just haven't, I, I haven't played the things that I'm aiming to, to get, and a few of the genres I was really fond of, like I was playing PC games in this time, and you know, we did have a family PC, so that stuff was open to me, but I feel like I lived so many of the classics sort of vicariously, and or or there sort of, um, there are so many kind of key texts you know, like genres are kind of invented and born in this decade that everyone feels like they've absorbed certain games by osmosis regardless of whether they played them and kind of unpicking some of that and unpicking like what's important and what I actually like and what I actually know is, I don't know, that's that's kind of tricky. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, set of categories in the sense that like um, there's, there's some that are like the firm genre categories and there are some that cross genres by their nature and that allows you to like pull the list in the direction that you find interesting and we did that deliberately because me and Matthew have very different areas of expertise specifically in PC gaming so it made sense to give each other like the kind of like 
the broadest sort of like array possible of like mm. options. So um, I think we've allowed ourselves to do that, which is good. So Matthew, before we get into the draft, we always have a lovely little preamble here where we sort of share some memories and stuff. What are your memories of PC gaming? You say you had a family computer in the nineties. What nineties PC gaming? What was your your whole whole experience of that? Uh, frustration, really, because you know it's it's maybe like hard to kind of imagine in this age where everyone's so tech savvy but these were these were incredibly complicated to have them in the home you know i remember having lessons at school where we had like an it lesson where basically the whole lesson was about like what an email address is and they used to have to kind of teach you that kind of stuff and and it, it seemed so sort of baffling and confusing to me it was something which was clearly a gateway to the best games you could play or definitely the most technologically advanced games you could play like the gulf between pc and console is just so vast but at the same time it was a gateway like i just didn't understand and if anything went wrong i was completely at the hands in the hands of either like a very limited internet time or like friends or my friend's dads who maybe knew about pcs i I didn't grow I don't think I grew up in a very PC savvy household like mm. my parents you know my my stepdad not a PC guy at all like and uh, like no joke I I very clear memories of hearing him sitting at the PC yelling to my mum Leslie <laughs> where's the queue where's the queue <laughs> on the keyboard and thinking like oh my Let's god <laughs> you know like it's <laughs> Like that's that that's what we were dealing with. Where I had friends like who had PCs before us, and you'd go around to their houses, and that like I felt like they were on another level because basically their dads could make stuff happen for them. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of yeah, like I say, frustrating. A lot of getting games for Christmas and birthdays, and then not being able to get them to work for weeks, or getting them to work, and then. But there was no sound because they wouldn't work with the sound blaster card or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> it's not like now where you can just go on Twitter and go, help. You know, it was kind of, you had to wait until someone else had the same problem as you and then maybe one person fixed it. It was a fucking nightmare, to be honest. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my dad was more, like, PC savvy. My mum just in technology is so, like... That's like another level of like doesn't understand, which is strange because um she got a PC before anyone because she had like a student grant for being like a working class mother basically in the nineties. And right. then like um she spent that getting like a rudimentary PC which could play um Mario is missing, um a very basic ass, like faux three D tennis game that was an absolute migraine to look at. Just um <laughs> just like basically like you're just a in a puddle of sick, just looking at someone do a serve. Um, that kind of like and it cost the price of a small house to have that experience (laughs) yeah Um, and it it like could do some things eventually we got like a a separate CD-ROM drive that old thing because the limits of like floppy disk games in the kind of mid 90s were firmly reached so you kind of needed to move over and then that was exciting that opened up like a world more stuff but then it definitely got to the point where the PC, the Windows 3.1, I think it was, just wasn't cut out for, like, modern games. So my dad, like, um, knew a lot of, like... He was in the fire brigade, and he knew a lot of, like, men with hobbies. And so <laughs> he got, like, one of their, like, cast-off PCs. There was, like, a little cabal of people who played PCs at the time. That The first issue of PC Gamer I ever got in the 90s was, like, like just left around in um, the uh, fire station where my dad worked. He was just kind of in a pile of reading material, so he brought it home. And then, like... 
yeah, weirdly, I think through that connection is kind of how I got into PC gaming in the 90s, where he got a cast off PC from someone who just upgraded in like 1998 or something. Mm. And so we had a Windows, like Windows 98 PC that could suddenly like play basically everything um, for a certain period of time up until about 2001. Then it became a bit dicey. Mm. Um, But like, yeah, so that that was kind of an interesting journey because I went from playing these really like basic games like uh, Lion King and Aladdin um, on these kind of like um, PC format um, kind of like uh, floppy disks, uh, floppy, floppy disk demos. Um, to starting to accumulate my pile of Star Wars games, which I've discussed on um, uh, the previous episodes. That was a bit a big a part of what I was playing in the 90s. But then, like, a massive part of it for me was uh, having the 90s um, PC gamer covered it. Yeah, for sure. You'd get, like, the two CD-ROMs each month, and they'd be rammed with stuff. And then sometimes they'd do, like, um, uh, CDs that had, like... A, like a special themed one where you had a bunch of demos from like older games you might have missed when the issue came out so you could suddenly play a bunch of stuff at once and mm. that was like massive like the the demo stuff i think the, the osmosis thing you say there that kind of like i think the demos are part of it where yeah for sure you you have some you have like a band or two about a game because you play yoda stories on a pc gamer demo disc like right. <laughs> 25 years ago like that's such a part of PC gaming, or just I have vague memories of a game where, a, a, like a shooter, where all you did was play as a turret, a static turret, while things came towards you. I remember that game, or like Roll Cage. I never played the full version of Roll Cage, but I, I loved the living shit out of the demo that came with PC Gamer for Roll Cage, like mm. that kind of stuff. There's there's a lot of that going on with PC gaming, alongside the, you know, in reality, ten to fifteen nineties PC games I actually owned. You know, um, yeah, but yeah. A good time. Uh, tell you what, though, Matthew, PC gaming did seem unsexy to me at the time. As someone who like had a PC that could work with games, and I had some friends who were jealous of that. But like, the hot shit at the time to me seemed like PlayStation and N sixty four. This is where uh, like Metal Gear Solid was happening, and like GoldenEye was happening. These are the games I wanted to play. But in retrospect, I think I was actually pretty lucky. So mm. I was curious if you thought PC gaming seems more or less exciting than console gaming at the time in retrospect, do you think that's changed over time? Like um, how PC gaming is regarded versus console gaming in the 90s? Yeah, I, mean, I guess sort of depending on what you're into. Because like running alongside all this, you know, when I was playing PC for the first time, you know, I was playing N64 every day. You know, I was obsessed with my N64. And even though we suddenly had access to the, you know, quote-unquote proper PC first-person shooters... We still played GoldenEye and then moved on to Perfect Dark, and that was the shooter we played for, you know, we played rare shooters for, like, six years straight or something ridiculous. <laughs> um, so even though we had, you know, we definitely had, like, like uh, maybe not the full game, but, like, a demo of, like, Quake, and you could see, like, how much more advanced it was, but we were just, I don't know, I just think, like, the social situation so defined my tastes, what I was into, like, who I could play with. Like, I never... I, I don't think I played, like, an online PC game until, like, well into the early 2000s. Um, yeah. Like, the idea of, like, managing to get that to work or, like, a LAN party. I mean, my parents wouldn't let to, wouldn't let us take the family PC out the house. <laughs> like, that's insane. I remember once, I, I, you know, I still don't really understand how these things worked. But uh, playing uh, Command & Conquer Red Alert and somehow, like dialing someone else's house up through the pc and like hearing their mum through my pc like on their phone (laughs) we 
which I still don't really know what happened. I like that's how like dumb I was when it came to PCs and PCs and modems and the internet and how things worked. I was like, they must have just got a blaster like weird modem shit down the phone, and then in the background, harassing them. Like in the background, they wanted to play Red Alert. I don't know. Like it's like our elderly neighbours or something. <laughs> It's like the idea that in the background I can just hear, like, this is a man shouting, Leslie, Leslie, your voice is coming out of the computer. Like, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, was it desirable? I don't know. It's weird. I just, uh, I'm trying to work out why I didn't really think of PC, like, I, as a primary yeah. platform. Because I don't think I did. Like, there was stuff I coveted and wanted, and when I got them, I loved them. Some of my favourite games of all time I played on PC at this time. But I didn't think of PC... I didn't think of myself as a PC gamer or a PC owner in the way that I was an N64 owner and gamer. Like, there's something a lot more graspable and tangible and achievable, like, achievable, I guess, about N64. You know, I thought, oh, I can sort of... This is sort of simplified. I can make this happen. Well, I never kind of got over that slightly difficult hurdle with PC, you know, in these early years. You, know, you, were, too, you were too young, that's why. Because y- yeah, a lot of these games like were te- in an older I was audience. A teenage, you know, I was a teenager for, you know, late late 90s. Um, yeah. But, I, yeah, maybe it's... A, like, I, th- I think a big part of it is is down to, like social set and like what your friends are into because you know i know people my age who actually their teenage years were defined by you know multiplayer games like a lot of the gamer network people who roughly sort of not too far off you know the kind of your rupert loman and co like you know gamer network the, the 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 first person shooters of the 90s are hugely important to them like i don't know if you remember this they all their toilets were named after Quake maps. Uh, I was that? only there for three months, but oh, right. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't it doesn't all stick to be honest. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I vaguely rings up. But I did actually wonder what all those names were. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm pretty sure that's what it was because that that was what they were playing multiplayer. So it, you know, just different situations. Maybe like a two year age difference was enough to kind of push you into that area. But I definitely like, you know, all my friends played N64, but then they all had like a pc and i could go to different houses to play different things you know my friend dan like had Baldur's gate and we'd go there and like watch the opening fmv and be like fuck me it's like the most amazing movie you've ever seen um and then you know someone else would have you know be mega into their strategy games and would have their kind of handle on that but um it just wasn't it didn't really feel very unified it felt like everyone was like nibbling at the edges which is what this draft is kind of difficult about it for me as well it's like there's there's bits where i feel comfortable nibbling and know more about and then there's lots of places where i'm like fuck yeah i think that's probably fair i think i honestly think the age thing is is significant because i don't think it's just a case of like you're 15 so you could have been into this stuff too i mean the mm. online gaming thing was about access more than anything we didn't have broadband till 2002 i don't think mm. so and I, I had a friend who had it slightly before, but like that means I basically missed Quake Three as a thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, that that didn't really happen for me. Unreal Tournament happened a little bit. Um, I had I had so, Unreal yeah. Tournament the original, but I only ever played bot fights. <laughs> it's just <laughs> me and a load of phantom AI running around these amazing maps, pretending that we're you know playing with friends and having a good time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'll be honest with you. That was still really fucking fun. Oh like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I had Unreal Tournament too, and like um, I was playing it offline, like a not insignificant period of the time. 
It was still really fast-paced, fun shooter, like, great weapons, looked amazing, really fantastic maps. Like, yeah, Unreal Tournament still ruled if you're playing by yourself. Like, mm. it sounds kind of pathetic, but... <laughs> that's it's that's like, more yeah. it is, the, yeah. The yeah. Poor little me. No, but I, I completely agree with you. I think that, that stuff had real value, and, like... um. Yeah, it's funny how um, the socioeconomic situation is such a like a big part of like how of what affects your background with games. And PC gaming is so has always been so prohibitively expensive. That's why I think like uh, you know like the the Steam Deck is actually like pretty awesome in terms of the offering, like the actual kind of hardware setup, the fact that you'd be able to dock it soon um, and then like use it as a basically a functional gaming PC for about four hundred quid with the dock and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That rules because it's just never been that accessible, mm. um, and so yeah, yeah, that, I, I like that. But yeah, in the nineties, yeah, PC gaming seemed so unsexy to me um, <laughs> as someone who had it. But the grass seemed so much greener in console land. And then, in retrospect, I actually think I was quite lucky to have a lot of my sensibilities like um, formed by these um, these games. So mm. yeah, do you think magazines played a part? Like the, I think the voices of PC like PC gaming magazines and console mags were quite different. Yeah, they were, and, uh, it was like skewing older for sure. Yeah, like, like there was a lot of... I remember buying like PC Gamer when I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 and there being stuff in there where I was like, I don't know what that means. You know, like I don't get that. <laughs> you know, this is this feels like there's a load of adults talking around me and I don't really know what's going on. But in Games Master, it was all kind of like, you know, for Lara Croft. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, I can get on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> There was um, such an explosion of, like, box outs in so many of those console mags. Like, it was just, you know, um, a sort of attention span shattering um, kind of, like, a layout, basically. Yeah. Um, pulling your eyes in different directions. Whereas PC Gamer was much more... I, I must say, I never read PC Zone. Sorry about that. That's no slight against PC Zone. It's just that PC Gamer was the first one I read, so that's the one I kept reading. So, um, you know, I um, it sounds like I would have liked Zone, though. Very anarchic, um, right to yeah. its kind of like final days. So I, pro- I probably would have got a lot out of it. But um, like I yeah. think I think if I'd actually read Zone, maybe I would have been more into PC gaming because Zone actually put the kind of playful, fun, accessible face on it. You know. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong about that. PC Gamer was like just as sort of silly, just as in jokey, so? just as fun. Yeah, it was. Like it was those it was, like reviews I just remember, were like, like super lots of tank simulator reviews. <laughs> no, no, was, you're misremembering it. PC Gamer was like totally in that ballpark too. P- Zone took it further, but PC Gamer was fun. It was like the like let's dress up um, Kieran Gillen as a mime for a back page kind of joke kind of mm. mag. Like it was that as well. Like it's. Yeah, it's maybe you just uh, yeah. I don't well, know, listen, maybe, I, I I apologise to the memory of PC <laughs> Gamer. I do not want to you know cast any aspersions on it. Well, look, any magazine that has like um, a, a funny gag and then Ed at the end in brackets is like you know that's a fun nineties. That game is magazine. true. Yeah, that is true. Um, factually accurate. So yeah, definitely definitely affected it, Matthew. Definitely affected the games I picked on this list. Like a lot of the games that were like revered in PC Gamer in the late nineties, early noughties. A lot of that stuff is has informed my um you know the games i want to pick for the the draft so that's that's cool matthew i was curious what what i found really interesting in researching this episode and i'll be honest this took more research than any of them so far like even the n64 draft where i had to play (laughs) blast core with its which was slightly unbearable and um (laughs) jet force gemini which was incredibly unbearable um this (laughs) this one took like probably 10 plus hours of research over the last couple of weeks like some real build-up and the big thing that stands out is how much PC gaming 
the landscape of it changes from the early 90s to the late 90s now genres just move so fast you have the advent of like 3d graphics in the mid 90s basically and then that that kind of like kind of coincides with a lot of like revolutionary game design as well and then like um sort of a slicker sort of um ui and a slicker user experience generally like um things just progress so quickly and so in my head i've almost kind of divided them into two eras is that kind of how you saw it from researching this episode yeah a little bit i mean rather than like specific eras i mean it just like you say an era of incredible change and like innovation and how fast things form you know certain genres yeah pop into existence and then three years later they've almost already evolved into their final form and haven't really changed i guess like there's maybe a change in sensibility in some more like like heavier storytelling stuff comes in later like in the last couple of years you know basically after half-life it feels like things suddenly get a little bit more sophisticated and that isn't to do with specific genres that's more just like a change in taste suddenly everyone becomes a lot more interested in things being a bit more kind of coherent and i don't know less less traditionally gamey in a way yeah but i yeah like to be honest i was mainly just playing point and click games so um (laughs) you know i could say i could see how different they became and basically like that was the one genre which sort of did die out that 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 decade it felt like yeah Everything, yeah. everyone else, everything else was being born and, and and you know becoming something new. This was something which had hit its stride in the early nineties, and then was kind of struggling to kind of fit into the the late nineties, and you know, and then well, I, people get upset if you say adventure gaming peters out after that. You know, they'll be like, well, actually, there's always but mainstream blockbuster adventure gaming is not hot after two thousand. I would say. No, it's because like um, what is really interesting about this decade is that so many of like the genres that are big on PC have defined permanently defined my interest in games. So, right, uh, a real time strategy game will always be exciting to me because that's that to me is still one of the main genres. But like right. to some players, it might not. You know, people who grew up maybe ten years after me, they probably don't see it that way at all. You know, they might see like you know basically MOBAs as as that or you know open world games as that and so my kind of core I guess my core interests are very much like defined by the genres on PC and you're Mm. you're right like um I think like point and click is is unusual in the in the sense that like well point and click and strategy kind of both go through similar um sort of challenges basically They, they strategy lasts a lot longer um point and click just kind of hits a wall where those games don't work on console and so they are PC-only games at a time where things are starting to become more multi-format. So, mm. um, although they actually they do die, for, they do die before that properly happens. So it's um, it may just be genre fatigue or um, you know LucasArts stop making them or whatever. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, I'm sure that's been well documented elsewhere. Yeah, that's that's the kind of like PC, the modern PC gaming aspect for me, Matthew. It's a lot of my tastes were kind of defined here. Um, something I wanted to ask you about actually before we get into the draft is uh, the state of preservation with these. Um, it's noticeably way better than other platforms have it. Did you notice that doing this? Like, um, unlike our other drafts, I've not gone with the angle of like, what can't you play now? Because it's almost a pyrrhic effort. You might as well just pick ten good games. That's kind of how I approached it. How about you? Yeah, there, there are a few things that sort of slip through the cracks, and there are a few things. But even those, I've you know, like there's there's things that I played way after the fact, so they are playable in one form or another. And um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You know you know there are 
I know there are literally games I remember like buying or borrowing from friends that I could never get to work on our PC because I literally didn't understand like how to make DOS work. Um, <laughs> because that could happen. Like, who told you about that stuff? It's like, oh, there's this other secret mode that you have to go into, and this game works in that. I was like, what the fuck? And, um, you know, now you have, like, your DOS box or whatever that kind of, you know, sorts it all out. Everything's so automated in the modern age. So it's not just that a lot of these things have lived on. It's that people have found, like, nice ways for them to actually be better and just more enjoyable to play. Like, they've improved them. They've patched them. They've kind of fixed them after the fact. Um yeah, it's it's yeah, and it puts a huge like wrinkle in 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 the the draft thinking because you're like, yeah, fuck it, I should just just pick ten things that I like that I think represent the time um, uh, rather than what I can and can't play. Yeah, that's it. Like, there's actually like not really a PC mini approach to this and um, this draft. That's where it's a bit different to like the other ones where we've we've basically packaged it up as if you saw these two consoles on the shelf, which would you buy? Um, I don't think there's that there's much point doing that here because fighting over the elusive stuff just ends up being like a scrap over the like ten to twenty obscure cool PC games that like you just can't get unless you're prepared to just go download a dodgy version of like a my abandoned where and right. then like run it run it with like compatibility settings and <laughs> messing with exe files and all that stuff like um, just you know yeah yeah it's it, it's almost like not worth it, I would say. You might as well just pick the games that matter. Um, Matthew, any more thoughts on uh, PC gaming, 90s PC gaming, before we move on to the draft? Oh, there's a lot of good stuff, and don't be cross if we don't pick the thing that you loved. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like um, This is like um, the disappointed dad's episode of the back page. Oh, it like, really is. So much yeah. of this stuff. is uh, The thing, the annoying thing with this, I was like, oh, I, I could like bring in a, you know, I could, I could get like, call in some old childhood friends who could basically do this way better than me because I had friends who, you know, I was... No, no I was about to say I was friends with them because they had big PC gaming collections. <laughs> I was friends with them because I liked their awesome personalities. But they also happened to be people who were a bit savvier. And I'm like, oh, man, like, Dan would absolutely destroy it, this 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 um, draft in my stead. But I, I don't think that's really allowed. <laughs> no, it's not like you bring on Dan and then I bring on, I don't know... Your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, my dad's mate from the fire brigade. Um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah. So um, no, it's that is the th- that's the other thing, right? Whenever we do these drafts, inevitably, as with all the features that have ever been posted on the internet, people are like, "Why don't you pick this? Why don't you pick this?" And it's like, well, the answer is always, "I just didn't." Sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, th- I- but here, there's a, a larger potential to disappoint because um, your experience could vary so much between these genres because some genres have like literally ten. 15 defining games in them so we're, we're bound to not pick something that you think is oh, really important um, i'm, gonna, I'm gonna pick some right old shit <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm excited um i've given this like massive amounts of thought actually there's only two genres i'm a little dicey on where I've, there's like one i had to outright bluff which is fine i don't mind doing that like i could admit that um i've gone for more like importance there rather than you know my kind of like base of knowledge the rest i'm okay with that i think i think it'll be um, a fun draft still so matthew should we take a quick break then come back with the uh, 90s pc game draft let's do it So, in this section, we're going to do the 90s PC gaming uh, draft. I'll go through the categories shortly. Um, what you need to know as a listener. So, 
Um, you can vote on the who the winner is in the pinned tweet at Backpage Pod. It is a competitive draft. We're trying to pick the best 10 PC games across these different categories. It's a snake draft, which what that means is that um, whoever goes first picks one game, the next person picks two, and then the um, the first person picks two, and it's then two until the end. That's fair that way, so we avoid the very controversial Samuel takes Goldeneye and Perfect Dark um, situation that made for such good podcasting about a year ago. So um, that's the that, that's uh, the how we've done it. Matthew, how about you read out these categories? Okay, <clears throat> so first up we have. We have well, we have got two first person sh- FPS games. Yep, that's right. So categories one and two are both yeah. FPS games, different FPS games. We can talk about the categories afterwards. So I'll just run through them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The third category is God Game or City Builder. Fourth category is Sim. Fifth category is Strategy. Sixth category RPG. Seventh pat- category Point and Click slash Adventure Game. Eighth category, 90% plus from PC Gaming UK. Ninth category, the wild card, which is a uh, uh, more esoteric choice from the library. Uh, tenth category is free pick. Anything you want. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the thinking here, uh, FPS, such a big part of PC in the 90s. Really hard to sum it all up with one uh, one category. This was a bit contentious with a couple of people on Twitter who were like, "Oh, you know, I wasn't even playing FPS games in the nineties." It's like, I, well, I, you know, they were they were mega important though. I Sorry mean, about that. It's like it's the birthplace of the definitive genre. You yeah. know, it's like the genre, and I I just don't think you can deny that. Uh, yeah, I was surprised by the backlash to that. Um, <laughs> it's a tiny, it's a tiny backlash. Most people are quite excited about yeah. the podcast. It's all um, good. I, I just want to clarify something. Mm. Any game in a first-person perspective? Yeah, that's. I think we. I think that's fine. Um, I, I was <laughs> okay. thinking the I mean, same I thing. I don't, I don't like. I don't necessarily have a FPS game that isn't a shooter in mind, but I just want to have the freedom to potentially play in that space. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, sort of like this so. Is... Matthew's uh, so original thief will be Matthew's first pick. That's uh, good. no, not at all. We don't know what's, <laughs> listen. We don't know what's going to happen. This is, what it's, this is what it's like in the Discord where we're kind of sa- we're trying to sound each other out without giving away what we what is so obvious what we're trying to do. It's like the two least conspicuous men ever kind of going. Yeah. Doo, 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 doo. yeah um, okay, well, that's at, good. We at- we act like, oh, we're over the kind of uh, the old days of uh, being like um, very petty rivals, and then it comes right back, doesn't it? It's the yeah. same old, uh, same old bullshit that makes it so entertaining. Yeah. So the other categories here, Matthew. So we've got two FPS categories. Uh, we've got God Game or City Builder, another significant game. So that covers like quite a broad array of stuff there. But there's there's a definite uh, type of game that we're kind of like angling towards there um, of kind of like uh, management games that don't involve kind of combat, basically. Um, Sim, that's very broad, actually. Sim, that could, that covers like a massive range of stuff. So, um... I, I I really str- I'm gonna say in advance, I really really struggle with this. All right, I see. I think I nailed that one. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So this, that's the category that scares me, and I've well, we'll see when we get to it. <laughs> okay. Um. So five strategy again. Like this is one that could have been two categories. Um. Really, strategy was a massive part of the nineties. This uh, Matthew uh, did ask me a clarification question offline. Yes, this includes ta- tactics games, so turn-based games, anything like that, anything that comes under the umbrella of strategy is absolutely fine there. Um, mm-hmm. RPG, obviously very important on PC. A lot of like what happens with modern um, RPGs on all formats starts on um, PC in the 90s. So 
um that's that's important um uh matthew like point and click adventure game that's your area of expertise isn't it yeah absolutely i mean like uh, an embarrassment of riches there um so so many great things you can go for i mean this is just lucasops as absolutely nailing it and a lot of these things because there's the strengths in the writing more than anything else like they're they're pretty timeless so a lot of these things hold up it's difficult it's really difficult boiling it down um yeah i, I wouldn't be surprised if if several point and click games ended up on my list via various means <laughs> yeah so um i've got 90 percent from uh, pc gamer uk uh 90 plus rather from pc gamer uk uh, that's uh, you know I I used to edit PC Gamer. Um, it gave me all these grey hairs, so I thought I'd honour it um, by putting it in the uh, in the draft here. Um, quite yeah, I had to I did a bit of digging actually to see what a nine percent game was. I forgot that we made like a, one of the most ill advised things we did on PC Gamer was a poster with every single score we ever had on it, um, <laughs> and like I think it had like five or six mistakes in the end. But it was right. such a pain in the ass to edit, and then. For some reason, we never just put the PDF online where you could look at it in like low resolution and just like sorry, in high, high resolution and kind of pick over the, um, right. the scores. So we, we we recovered all that information and then now it's lost to time again, and it's like that's so annoying. Yeah, um, I think yeah. the things I've got potentially lined up for that are all ninety. Like I looked them up and they seem to be in that kind of space, but I think we're just going yeah. to, have to trust each other on this one. Yeah, the tough thing is, is, well, game rankings used to be a good source for this, but that no longer exists for some reason. So that's um, that was kind of a shame. But still, yes, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, Wildcard, yeah, we always have a category a bit like this in the draft. We usually do. Um, this just allows you to pick something a bit left field. Um, I think there'll be some, maybe some discussion over what counts as wildcard here, Matthew, because I've picked something that I think is a wildcard to most people, but probably wouldn't be to 90s PC gamers at the time. Um which I think is is there's other stuff I could pick, but I think I would rather pick something that fits that description. Is that kind of how you approach that one? Yeah. Again, like the the wild cards, like the layer you dig into once you've exhausted all the top layer. But like I'm struggling with the top layer in places. So like the idea of me kind of skipping to the the weird, it's not very lived in category for me. <laughs> I would say, like I think I only really played things that got 90 percent in pc gamer i now probably count for like every category for me uh but i think i've got i think i've got a, a good one lined up and then yeah so and then finally free pick we always like this because it just allows you to put your own little personal touch on it and yeah. to you know it allows you to pull more in the direction of genres that you're interested in so maybe matthew will use this to swing another monkey island or something we will see i'm just trying to psych him out um <laughs> Yeah, so I'll, I'll recap those. So we've got um, Category 1, FPS. Category 2, a second FPS. Uh, category 3, God Game or City Builder. Category 4, Sim. Category 5, Strategy. Can also include tactical games. Category 6, RPG. Category 7, Point and Click slash Adventure Game. Uh, category 8, 90% plus from PC Gamer UK. Category 9, Wildcard. Category 10, Free Pick. Um, vote at Backpage Pod, t- uh, pinned tweet. Um, that'll be up for about a week and then after that i will um, take the tweet down from the pin thing but you can just check in the episode description if you're a new listener and you can see who won um but uh we'll, t- we'll talk about that in a future episode as well oh should we get into it matthew let's do it all right do you want to do the old coin flip because you can be trusted <coughs> and i can't famously <laughs> what would you like uh tails tails it is so I can go for I I can pick whether I go you can first pick or second. Whether you go first or not. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh gonna go first. Okay. Gonna start with the genre I'm on least uh sort of like uh sort of <laughs> most kind of like shaky ground with, and that's RPG. I'm gonna take Baldur's Gate. 
Okay. Now, so this is actually like a pretty packed genre. There's plenty of stuff here to take. There's like, you know, this is the birth of the Infinity Engine series of RPGs. There is like a fallow period before this that uh, Bioware at the time, um, a new studio, is basically credited with uh, like wholesale turning um, the perception of PC RPGs around. Um, so a fallow few years becomes uh, this kind of like D&D set uh, like very like customization and character building heavy um, RPG set in this kind of like um, vast world with great writing and uh, was was just like uh, beloved for the way that it would um, it would let you kind of shape your experience essentially while kind of portraying this very kind of vivid world and um, kind of informed everything that would follow like modern RPGs don't really resemble this very much but there is like there are series there are like eras of bioware games and they kind of like filter down from like one to the other so um you know you go from this to like the neverwinter nights kind of era sort mm. of like post infinity engine then you kind of go from that to like mass effect sorry no you go from that to like kotor and jade empire you go from that to um, the mass effect and dragon age era and so and so it goes so um, an enormously important step along the kind of genre uh, sort of path so i felt like if there was one rpg that summed up the 90s rpg sort of phenomenon well this was the one um there is actually quite a nice port of this on nintendo switch matthew i'm not sure you've played that i have yeah it's i'm just surprised you can get like a game like this running okay on a format like that did you think that worked quite well on switch yeah i liked it yeah i thought it was good um though Catherine didn't like it because i was playing it in bed and (laughs) uh like the repeated battle cries of which you hear a lot uh the 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 person who i had as my party lead and was it is it Janira? Is that her name? I can't remember, but right. um, her quote was, Yes, O omnipresent authority figure. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, after a couple of nights, Catherine was just like, You've got to play that with headphones. <laughs> like, if we like... hear that authority figure line one more time. Um, I feel like Catherine's very tolerant, so it must have been annoying. Well, she's trying um... to read some very, like, delicate uh, Japanese literature. <laughs> And oh. there's me just being an, being an idiot with Baldur's Gate. Um, yeah, I I really like this game. I know people, you know, Baldur's Gate Two is 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 the better game, not a '90s game, sadly. But I I think this has got like loads and loads of charm. Um, you know, it's like you say, it's where a lot of this stuff starts. It's a lot of people's first taste of it. Um, the world's really really fun. Um, uh, I don't know if there's a collection of this in the '90s which also has the expansion, but no, maybe we should have a rule on this. Actually, should we say that like if the expansion released in the nineties, you get it as well? Yeah, uh, and that's it... uh, that. That that's I've not got a problem with that. Yeah, I think then that maybe does get you the, the expand an expansion for this. Yeah, it gets you tales from the Sword Coast. Um, yeah, okay, that's absolutely fine then. Which um, is uh, <laughs> you would say that. <laughs> Oh, that's absolutely fine. I get this all sorts of back. Well, no, it, it, gives, it extends the same liberty to you. I think it's, uh, it's <laughs> None of fair. my things have expansion packs. Why did I... Oh, anyway, like, look, that's fine. Um, it's a really good expansion pack. Like, it adds just, like, f- four quite substantial... Like, the, the, probably the best quests in the game, I think, are in the expansion pack. So, yeah. lucky I, I think old another, you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think another really key thing to say about... Uh, Baldur's Gate as well is that like or rather this category generally is that like there's no point in saying it doesn't play well now there's no point in saying that with any of these because all of these games get surpassed in some way or another like mm. um 
there's not much use to being like well it's kind of like it has no value now um about this stuff because obviously you would play the enhanced edition of this rather than like the original yeah if given the choice unless you're like ultra hardcore i think you can still buy the original on gog so yeah like um that that's that's the other thing is like these genres move ahead so quickly as well that like even when i was reading pc gamers top 100s for some of these games they were saying like games from like two years before were starting to show their age and it's like wow you were you were too used to like games progressing super quickly in that era um these days it just doesn't move as quick move as fast Mm. um what's your uh your next what's your first pick and your second pick matthew uh my first pick oh let's go for a super obvious one just because you know there's a very good chance i'll shit the bed so i'll get i'll try and get a win a, 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 a populist pick in the pack um I'll go FPS and I'll take Half Life One. Ah, yeah, fuck. <laughs> Which is oh, ultra obvious, I would say, but you know, hugely, hugely important game. Like I, I genuinely think we sort of live in the the post Half Life world still, in terms of uh, what people expect from narrative and people's ability to cram storytelling into every nook and cranny i know that there are other games doing interesting storytelling things but this is definitely a lot of people's first major taste of like that large narrative opening the kind of the the you know the side dialogue the kind of the environmental storytelling all this stuff which you know we love to this day i think is is uh, definitely popularized not perfected but introduced in a really exciting way here um yeah, I just you know, I I like I wasn't reading vast amounts of like PC gaming coverage back then. Um so this sort of came out of nowhere. I had I didn't like have any expectations for it, but there was suddenly this, you know, it was like suddenly out of nowhere people going like, "Oh, there's like an Ocarina of Time quality kind of game <laughs> or whatever that you have to play." Like there's an essential kind of genre defining thing and you know, going to buy it in the shop, seeing that manky-ass rusted orange box and thinking, this? This is the this is the future, is it? Being really scared of it, like, because <laughs> I was the worst, like, when it all goes <laughs> to shit and the aliens start turning up, like, head crabs. Like, I remember genuinely not playing this game for quite a while because I didn't like those things jumping at me. Um, it, cause I, think it t- I actually think it takes you a little while to get to the really good stuff where you've got, like, aliens and armed forces and it's all really kicking off. The initial run of this is a, was a little bit too intense for however old I was back then. But yeah, I mean, you know, a really, uh, a really great game. Bad music, I think. I hate the music in Half Life. The like the original voice acting is a tough hang these days. Like, yeah. Um, but then I said I wouldn't do that just in the last entry. So, um, <laughs> but like the other thing is that this uh, Matthew, when we previously talked about like what other games like inspired the old Pat the Ox thing with um, Uncharted. This game is probably like first at the the starting line, right? Like that you walk into like places there are triggered kind of like narrative events. Yeah. Like um it's it all kind of happens here. Like it's a, enormously important in the history yeah. of like cinematic presentation in games. I I felt a bit bad though because I, when we were talking about Max Payne, I was like, "Oh, Remedy did it." it you know, yeah. and, and they didn't. Like but they may have they may have like definitely done a very good version of it in the in the third person space, but um yeah, this was... Yeah, I, I somehow completely forgot that this existed in a really important yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't think you can argue with Half-Life, really. Maybe I can argue with the end. Bad ending as well. Bad music, bad ending, I'd say. Um, but... Yeah, but 
that's okay because I think most people probably remember the first half more anyway. Yeah. And also, also like the other thing is that this game is like a continuous world essentially. Like um, in terms of like how it tells its story, it's less itemized by kind of levels as as the FPS had traditionally been designed. Um, mm. So that that itself is still still really impressive. I would have picked this. I should have picked this first. Fuck. Uh, never mind. Um, Baldur's Gate is still a very good pick. It is. Uh, but there's only one game like Half-Life from the 90s. That is what's good about this pick, I think. Um, yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There was lots of stuff I was really excited about including, and they're all like 2001 or like 2002. Like my mm-hmm. memory squished a lot of stuff together. I thought a lot of stuff happened earlier than it did. You know, yeah. I, th- I thought we were into like... For some reason, in the nineties, I thought we were into like Jedi Knight Two territory and um, uh, like No One Lives Forever Two, and you're like, those are early, early noughties, But oh well. Yeah, there's also like a really odd thing that happens. This might come up with later entries. I don't know, but the immersive sim, as I sort of know it and like it, happens just like months after the nineties, <laughs> like so close. Like it does. It, there is, you know, there, there are immersive sims in the nineties, but like in terms of the ones I really like. They are um, in the next decade, um, just in, by a few months in some cases. That's interesting. What's your second pick, Matthew? Oh man, there's so many good things. Um, yeah, it's really good. It's like it was really hard to just narrow some of this stuff down. I'm actually I'm going to get the category that I'm struggling the most without the way because I literally don't really have anything for it, um, mm-hmm. which is sin. Uh, I'm going to take Star Wars Tie Fighter. Oh fuck! Oh that sucks. Oh! <laughs> No, that was the game I played like so much of this week, ready to take it. Right, I feel Fuck. bad because I've never played it. Oh, that's <laughs> even worse, you motherfucker! Oh, oh you absolute prick! Oh. oh, fuck you, Matthew Castle! Oh, Jesus Christ! Uh, you absolute wanker! Oh, I should have picked it first. What was that? I, I thought there's no way you'd go for that. I thought you would misunderstand that that was even a sim, and I thought you'd pick like Microsoft Flight Simulator or something. And then well, I was like, gonna, like, I mean, like it was that, or I'd, I'd written down I had vague memories of playing Flight Unlimited Two at someone's house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on then, Matthew. Tell me about why Tie Fighter is so good. Oh man, I mean, well, it's the classic 1994 uh, space uh, combat sim from Totally Games. Um, a lot of people, you know, they maybe kind of mix in these uh, space fighting games with the simpler arcadey dogfighting games, but I would argue that there was uh, enough controls on the keys. This was very much a simulator, um, like the level of control you had over like your energy distribution, uh, which sh- you know shield placement around your ship. You know, there was a lot going under the hood compared to your rogue leaders or whatnot. Um, put put the back of the box down now, Matthew, and uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> um, like yeah. I've got to be honest. I haven't played this game because uh, it uh, looked too complicated at the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam, I'm really t- I feel terrible, but I I had to have something that wasn't bad. Yeah, no, this game is really cool. Go, um, tell tell me about it. <laughs> Yeah, so I played loads of this this week. Um, it's a game that I, oh, I feel awful. Had, had previously owned, right? <laughs> but like, uh, let's think. So uh, yeah, like so basically, this the whole thing is that there's a, there's a game called X Wing before this. Yeah, it is obviously it lets you simulate playing as all the different um, Rebel Alliance spaceships. This comes out, um, flips the switch to like you play as the bad guy now, um, weaves you into. A, a, I say storyline. There is a storyline. There are cutscenes and stuff, but it's a very loose mm. uh, storyline framework. But 
it definitely makes you feel like you're part of like the bastard organization and makes like the empire seem like scary and cool like there's a hooded guy who like represents like the emperor who turns up at the end of missions and stuff and like um just from your interactions with people you just never feel like you're on the side of the good guys and then you're flying these ships that are like progressively they do become more powerful in terms of like um you know the later the later ships have have shields and um and and different weapons but like the tie fighters themselves have barely any shields so it's mm. a sense that you're like you're like high risk um high reward kind of like um uh, combat mm. and this actually plays really well with an xbox controller i played that this week because i don't have a um uh, a joystick but mm. um to people at home if you buy the D- gog version uh, the special edition of this game will just work out of the box with an xbox controller and then i think you use the x button to maybe it's the, i think it's the x button you use to shoot and then you can just use the um the left stick to kind of like move around and then if you don't mind like hitting your keyboard separately every now and then just to kind of like divert power and um uh do slightly easier target select it it works really really well and like the difficulty settings incredibly generous if you play on easy the rebel ships basically won't shoot you so you can just like treat them as a target gallery but if you turn it up then you get a a much higher level of challenge absolute ton of missions um really like fun basic missions but just really good amazing sound design has like a dynamic soundtrack which i think was revolutionary for the time so it perks up and goes down again depending on what's happening in the game there's some really nice kind of like pauses and it ramps up again really dramatic just yeah like takes that x-wing formula then super refines it and gives you kind of like a tonal like a, a kind of there's like a tone to the game that you just don't you just haven't seen in other star wars games and that's why i think it remains so special mm. um so yeah i mean it I sounds amazing it. fuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, sh- I should play this sometime <laughs> um to be honest though i was in a similar position with boulder's gate so i get it like, like these, I, I, it's good to get the bluffs out of the way you know i, I was what i was watching some videos of it and yeah i i liked the thing with there was like the strange hooded man who almost seemed to give you like counter objectives to what the main objective was you're going to be up to no good for me the emperor and i was like that's cool <laughs> and it also had it has like the star wars scroll but it's from the perspective of the empire so yeah that's right so it's all like, yes, we absolutely smashed them on Hoth. And they're like, oh, that's quite fun. Like, they, they really lent into it. Um, yeah, I, I feel bad about this. But <laughs> I also, I just didn't want to be humiliated in the sim category. So <laughs> it wasn't done vindictively. No, that's okay. Um, it's honestly fine. Like, um, this good. this serves me right for not going second, really. Um, what can you do? Oh, uh, too, well, I'm right. glad I picked it now because you would have picked it rel- relatively early on. I think. I also know the listeners will uh, will enjoy my reaction to you picking it. Like that's going to be like okay. It's just tough to pick what to take next because there are like the, the tr- tricky thing with some of these is like, do you take something that from a category that you know is a super important game, but like. Um, then do you kind of uh, are you like picking too prematurely and you should like patch over a different category say right. picking your rpg before you pick your sim <laughs> some might say that's a fraught, <laughs> a fraught approach um okay uh, but no, i i think I've, i know what i'm gonna do for my next two now so i'm gonna get my point and click game out of the way matthew mm-hmm. um i'm gonna take grim fandango okay. um so yep there are so many games to pick from this i've picked what i think is like the probably the the one that's the most refined in terms of like inspirations and presentation like the most like the one i consider the classiest i would say in, mm. in terms of like this is you know um a film noir infused kind of like a day of the dead aztec afterlife inspired adventure the, uh, the basically the end of its kind minus um escape from monkey island but like 
basically the escape um, from Monkey Island was ass as well. So, <laughs> well, basically the, uh, the the what happens is like these games finally become more up to date and kind of 3d but right at the end of their lifespan that's the weird thing about this genre it just kind of peters out and and honestly i don't quite have the same connection to um uh, monkey island that um I, i'm sure that you do mm. um so I, I felt like picking this was most appropriate because i think like the the very specific kind of like oddball um set of inspirations no other game looks like this in terms of like the kind of you are living in this world that's basically about the mechanics of the afterlife in this almost kind of like future armory or like brazil style kind of dystopia of like different kind of like um of, of how the kind of afterlife actually works yeah, plays this character. Kind of endless bureaucracy and yeah yeah for sure so and that is a kind of like such a specific and interesting approach to like world building and, and they extract so much kind of funny stuff out of it yeah like it's the, the mood of this one really works i think that like i played this actually like I, I had played this at the time and then it was a few years ago when the um they did the, re- the re-release because this was out of circulation for so many years this one just mm. couldn't get couldn't get hold of it it wasn't on any of the services then um disney bought LucasArts, and then all of this stuff like ended up on um on different services and double fine brought it back as like a a really nice um complete edition you can now get on switch it's actually one of the only game i think it's like the only of the one of those games you can get on switch so um made it look kind of visually really really nice and uh yeah still so distinctive has all the kind of like hallmarks of this of this genre in terms of like the puzzles will just kind of annoy you a lot of the time and you won't really know right. how to progress but i think all these games are best played with a walkthrough now matthew so you can just enjoy the script writing <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and the and um you know the kind of yeah the, the jokes and the different locations is that kind of how you feel about this genre yeah yeah a little bit some of them are kind of i don't know it's, it's hard to say like because i played so many of them i sort of have a vague memory or like anything that's truly nasty stays with me so i've kind of got an inbuilt walkthrough for a lot of these games but um yeah, definitely. There's some super strange stuff in it. It's a very... Mm. Uh, I remember being a very irritating... There's a few sort of, like, logic puzzles which aren't brilliantly fun. Like, there's one quite near the start where you're trying to change these sort of pneumatic pumps to knock over this tower. Like, stuff yeah. like that. It's just fucking blows. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about what about the actual, like, world and the writing and stuff? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I absolutely love this game. I mean, this was... Um, you know, when I, when I played this, I was like super into like Terry Pratchett as well, and this 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 is a very sort of sort of similar kind of you know maybe you're making the connection because the Pratt the Discord books obviously had Death as a character, and he was very funny, and I like the idea of of kind of like quite surreal twists on things that feel like they should be important, and this fit right into that. Um, like I think a lot of it went over my head. Like I replayed it again, like you know years later, and you know i could appreciate a lot more of the adult jokes like i don't think it, it's 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 not like condescending in any way you know it's not embarrassed to have jokes that work for different you know there's, there's some really silly stuff and then there's some quite sophisticated like genre pastiche of like you know noir and pulp fiction and things which which mm. um you know maybe passed me by when i first played it had uh a uh, cutscene in this game I was obsessed with. I used to turn on my PC just to rewatch the cutscene, which is at the end of the very first act where you're basically chasing this this woman who you've given a dud deal to and you sort of feel bad about it. He wants to go and give her like the, the proper ticket to the afterlife that she deserves. And he chases her down to this kind of port, but he just misses her. She's leaving on a boat and he's left in this cafe, um, Manny, and he's um 
he's like mopping the floor and he's really dejected and the camera kind of pans up to the sky and then it says like one year later or something and then suddenly you get this amazing tune this kind of like big party time big drum beat you're like what the hell's going on and it and then the camera pans back down and in the year that's passed he's turned the club into this huge casino the town's absolutely bustling it's like the most happening place and i just remember thinking like that cinematic transition was just one of my favorite favorite things for so long like it used Mm. to give me chills watching it um so yeah i I absolutely adore this game like it's i it's it's super super important um yeah it's a great pick it's the most kind of like singular mix of things. Like I think like the kind of flourish that you're talking about there, Matthew, is why people have always been like lobbying for this to be a film because they could see it in their mind's eye as like a stop motion animated yeah. thing. Um, oh, I wanted everything to be a film. Everything I liked when I was 15, I wanted to be a film. <laughs> this, Monkey Island, I was always talking to my friends about how I'd turn Monkey Island into a film. I think I drove mm. them up the fucking wall. Uh, <laughs> um yeah yeah so uh, this yeah this is the one of those uh, one of those lucasarts games that i've like played the most basically and that's kind of how it ended up here next up right i'm going to take strategy mm-hmm. and i'm going to take age of empires 2 age of kings yeah, i thought you might <laughs> um yep yeah, so uh this one is age of empires was a massive game for me the first one it comes along and like uh, this was a PC gamer demo that I I played obsessively. I had four missions in the original um, Age of Empires demo. Um, one of them was slightly longer, and I used to extend it by basically building every single building I could, building the biggest army possible, just to kind of raise this tiny little enemy base. Um, just because I was obsessed with the uh, with the with the notion of like building a huge army and um, building a huge base, and that that to like a ten year old's mind is just kind of spot on. And so I loved all that shit about the RTS genre. Um, but the second one was like way grander, just had like um much bigger sweep of a campaign. Um like it brought I think it brought in hero characters for the first time. Um so you'd start the game like as Joan of Arc and stuff, and that was like the tutorial. It basically just like transitions through different bits of history, <clears throat> gives you an um gives you like a massive increase in like number of units you can have on screen over the first game looked so much nicer um just got absolutely chaotic with the amount of like siege weaponry you could build um (laughs) sending those towards each other building these castles reaching these castle ages and building these elite units which are different depending on the um the uh the side you're playing as absolutely love this shit there's a reason people are still obsessed with this game and like um you know there are two different versions of the game you can play right now and and there's a massive audience for both of them and Mm. that's because this is still like the best at what it does to the point where the game age of empires 4 that came out last year was essentially this again but looked a lot nicer and had some like good quality of life changes but um yeah this has been very well preserved but as a kind of distillation of strategy in the 90s this is one of the games i wanted to pick for this matthew so um how how did you crack the strategy genre it's a question i i always want to ask people who are into strategy games from a young age because I've I just cannot get into it. Like my I and I've always just said, oh my brain's not made for it. But that's that can't that can't be true. Like like you you must have there must have been a struggle at first, right? There's a there must have been a hump to get over, or did it just instantly speak to you? It I think it instantly spoke to me, and I found the right games at the right time. So right um, when the I think the first one I ever played was Red Alert. And that was because a friend of mine over the road had the PS1 version. And so he was playing on his TV. 
and he was like i was asking him all these questions about oh what you can so you can build like different units and they come out and you can choose what units you get to build and stuff like that and he was playing a super early mission that was uh, that was just a really good way to understand like um the sort of potential of it because it was really exciting to see it all pop off the sound effects are really good the music by uh frank uh Klepaki, i think it is um uh i'm definitely mispronouncing his name there um was just like just so so fun the different factions had these really distinctive like identities and then you would see in the cut scene like this budget actor pretending to be joseph stalin in this alternate <laughs> um history and stuff and so it seems so so fun to me like that matthew and then I, then i discovered other games from that my dad already had had um civilization on pc so i would just like flick that on i would watch him play it and i and he, i got him to actually sit down with me and explain how that game work works he's like so you build a settler that you can um, go wherever you want you can move the city to different places and then um when you build a city you can name your city and that's the other weird thing it's like the creativity aspect of strategy games is why I like them, Matthew. I liked being able to build my own little base. I liked being able to select what my army looked like. I wasn't like an optimization guy. I didn't really care about any of that stuff. I just mm-hmm. liked the act of like building something that's yours and then like going going to war with it. For some reason, that was just very <laughs> compelling to me. Um, so I hope, I hope that helps as an explanation. But it of my... speaks to some very dark energy. <laughs> <in you. laughs> yeah um so yeah so age of empires 2 is like right on the cusp of the end of the decade i think i don't think i get any expansions for this one unfortunately oh, cause there's, um, didn't they make expansions for this for like forever basically i think they are still are technically <laughs> making them <laughs> um so yeah yeah it keeps it keeps coming um i think there's actually like literally one out this year so yeah um oh my god over 20 years later so yeah age of uh, age of empires 2 age of kings so i've got Age of Empires 2, Baldur's Gate, and Grim Fandango so far. Not a bad start, if I do say so myself. So what about your next two picks, Matthew? I'm going to take... <laughs> uh, I have Thief Gold. Okay. You okay with that? Being in the yeah, FPS I, category? Yeah, it's like first person. And, it is um, first person. Yeah. I mean, like, ironically, what's interesting about Thief and why Thief is amazing is that in an era where the first person perspective meant shooting things here comes a game which is you know explicitly about not really getting into any combat with anything and hiding in the shadows um i you know maybe there are examples before it but in my mind this is where a lot of the core kind of foundations of what stealth is going to be comes to play you know the idea of like light and dark and a visibility gem um some of the tactics of like you know removing lights um not every stealth game has shooting moss arrows which i still think is a little silly the idea of like spraying this this moss everywhere so you can walk quietly and cosh people but the idea of a game where being unseen and not getting into conflict is is going to win I, I think I I do prefer Thief 2 in terms of some of its, like, I think its levels are grander, a bit more exciting kind of landscape to be in. But a lot of, you know, uh, you know what is great about the idea of Thief is all here. Um, I think it's also, like, like a, you know, a, a pretty good sort of horror game as well. Um, you know, the idea that it's a world where you are safest in the dark you know, light is explicitly scary to you, but then you are also in quite scary locations. There are supernatural elements uh, in this game as well, which are not, like, super frightening. It's not like, you know, freaking Slenderman or something, but there's some quite creepy stuff, and it's asking you to play in quite a, a way where you will naturally be uncomfortable, which I think is super smart. So I actually think it kind of it gets a lot of the kind of, you know, tension 
you know of of the horror genre as well weirdly it's kind of a, a sort of two two for one yeah just and also just uh like in my head when i see a picture of thief it's just like uh, 90 it just looks like the 90s to me like the weird spindly limbs on the characters have a very distinct like visual energy it's got a real um well it has got a real visual identity um this game which is kind of slightly timeless i think yeah just just really smart i was quite bad at it but i but i did love this game yeah so you know this is one i thought about um i didn't come down with it though because i you just you just have to get to 2000 before like you have deus ex and like if i was going to pick any game to represent my interest in that genre it would have to be that one Mm -hmm. um and so but this happens with a few of these genres matthew like we say where the 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 best ones creep slightly into the next decade so it's kind of tough yeah uh, so yeah I, th- I think i think i understand your logic in picking it basically i don't think it's cut and dry that you know what the best thief game is right. you'll still find people advocating for this one to be the best one um while i don't personally agree with that um i'm trying to speak to those people and i hope <laughs> that they vote for my mini pc <laughs> Oh dear, we didn't even say it was a mini PC. Are we doing that now? Oh, oh it's not a minute. Well, they vote for whatever this is. The list this, of games. This amazing CD-ROM with ten games on it. <laughs> yeah, imagine you got this disc in your in the post in like the late nineties. Like, uh, oh that my might god, be a good way you, yeah, you shit your pants. Well, my dad literally did have a disc like this in the late nineties that he got off some uh, car boot sale. So, uh, <laughs> did he yeah. get it from his friend at the fire station? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, okay, good stuff. So, what's your next pick, Matthew? Uh, for RPG, and it only just scrapes in literally t- 20 days off, um, I'm going to go for Planescape Torment, mm-hmm. um, which comes out December the 12th, 1999. It's tight. Um, <laughs> kind of huge narrative RPG, quite ahead of its time. Like I don't think there's a lot else like it in that it is a world where storytelling and you playing a role in that storytelling is kind of what shapes the adventure like there is combat you know to the eye it looks a bit like a you know Baldur's Gate style jaunt um but actually you really can talk your way out of most trouble um you have to engage with the combat and that is the weak point but I'm trying to talk around that um but uh an incredibly dense world with some absolutely amazing scene setting amazing characters amazing branching quests and like true like crazed imagination um the game that it you know probably the only game since that i've really seen a lot of people liken it to is disco elysium in terms of like the density of the storytelling and the focus on character and how committed they are to honoring like every decision you make in this world and every weird choice that is offered has some kind of grand payoff it's um a hugely dense game like i must admit it took me uh, it took me a little while to kind of click with this like you know I didn't play it when it first came out straight away, but dabbling with it and feeling it was a a bit try-hard in a way that I I sort of feel similarly about Disco Elysium in certain ways. Um, Like, it's so dense and it's so clever and it's kind of forcing it down your throat. I actually think it's a little bit more accessible than Disco Elysium because it's a bit more kind of fantasy rather than kind of political, I'd say. It's an, an odd game in that so much of its strength is in its writing, so you spend a lot of time staring at just the 
textile or books. Like, I think you could make a version of this game which was just like a visual novel with like a soundscape and it would maybe be similarly effective. Like, I don't think the actual being in the world is necessarily the, the most vital vital thing. Or maybe the other thing to, to maybe compare it to is like the kind of level of like reactive cleverness and writerly skill that you maybe expect from like an in-core game. You know, it's a game made by writers, I would say, which sort of separates it out. Um, just a, yeah, a marvellously complicated thing, readily available on on just about every platform these days. Um, again, I've got this on Switch. I think it's part of a double bill with... Icewind is it Neverwinter Dale? Nights or is it Icewind Dale? One of the two. I think, I think it might be Icewind Dale, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I always got the impression this was like the most galaxy brain of those infinity engine rpgs like you you kind of go along with it uh, if you're into it you're really into it yeah and this and this i really got that sense again when it's spiritual successor torment um titan Numen- numenera came out where it was like yeah basically yeah. like it, basically it, the writing is is the juice <laughs> yeah um and like yeah that that and that i mean i think that means it's like it's less maybe immediately uh, how to phrase this? I just think that like probably more people would like und- would click with Baldur's Gate than oh, this. Oh, you know a- what I mean? absolutely! Like yeah. I, that was definitely my initial reaction. Like I thought it was like that's the kind of twist with this is it sort of happens at the same time. You go like, oh, this is going to be like Baldur's Gate, which I understand, and then actually it seems to kind of push you away or discourage you know the, the you know because the, the combat isn't particularly sophisticated or fun. Um, not that it's amazing, Baldur's Gate. That's that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, I th- you know you're like oh this is very wordy like this sort of likes the sound of its own voice and if you kind of click with it um and maybe you have to be a bit older to click with it maybe like it didn't speak to my teenage brain um because it was just so dense compared to anything else but i think yeah i think you're right like Baldur's gate is more immediate but planescape torment is is yeah. recognized um shame it was written by a wrong one, but there you go <laughs> <laughs> That happens sometimes in this podcast. It does happen in this era. I mean, yeah. yeah. Joss Whedon Whedon discussed on the Marvel episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's call it a problematic vape. No, I think think this this has got some really great stuff, stuff you would never, ever spoil. But if if you get into it and you you just become so, like, immersed in its narrative, like, it's so dense that Mm. it's very easy to lose yourself in it. And then when it does do, you know... I don't, I don't even want to call them twists because that sort of simplifies it a bit, but everything just hits that much harder. Um, yes, it's a, it's a really super game. Uh, yeah, good pick, Matthew. I can see the sort of logic there. So is that your second, is that your fourth pick there? Yes. Okay, cool. So what have you got so far? So far I've got Half-Life, Thief Gold, um, Star Wars TIE Fighter, and Planescape Torment. All my faves. Good stuff. Okay, so my next two picks. Right, um, I'm going to take my first FPS off the board. Uh, I'm going to take System Shock 2. Yeah. Um, uh, I kind of wanted something that was sort of in that immersive semi vein, but one that I thought dated in a way that was still fun to play now. I I think this is this is still fun to play now. It is the uh, predecessor to Bioshock, developed by Irrational Games. You wake up on a, a spaceship um, that's where where something's gone wrong. Essentially, in this, it's this kind of like uh, almost. Not quite alien-like, but it's a it's a sci-fi horror setting essentially. Um, you're being taunted by this AI. You pick these different um, sort of like 
uh, pass to augment your body in the you know the way that would be described as like plasmids and bioshock but um in a kind of more pc gaming of the the era time in terms of interface not as many kind of like um, niceties um mm. accessible niceties um but such an atmospheric game um there's a reason everyone banged on about this when bioshock came out it's because you know it is true that a lot of the dna is um is shared between the games um showdown an absolutely you know iconic pc gaming villain yeah. And so, uh, Andy, the funny thing about playing it now is when you've listened to a load of Irrationals podcasts from um, which they did about a decade ago, you definitely like recognise the devs uh, voice the different characters, which is quite funny. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this I think this is um, rock solid. You can play it on everything now still, and um, I think Night Dive have um, have put it on there. And there's obviously a remake of the first one coming out, which I haven't picked. Um, but yeah, the second one, just such an influential game, scrapes in right at the end, August 1999 in North America. Um, so yeah, any thoughts on this one, Matthew? Yeah, 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 really good stuff. Um, slightly more, I'd say, complex and maybe deeper as a game than Bioshock. I think yeah. Bioshock oh, yeah. sat like it, it. You know, you could say it sands off some edges, but it also simplifies because it basically wants you to enjoy how clever the writing is. I think you know this one isn't as cinematic, but is like maybe got a, a bit more going on under the hood. Yeah, it just it, very much in that kind of like immersive sim of the time yeah. kind of way. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I wanted a game like that on this list just for variety's sake, and I missed out on Thief, but um, I wanted this more anyway because yeah, of, yeah. I, yeah, think they, was, I, I was really umming and ahhing between Thief and this. Right, like I had them both, and I was like, because uh, I thought I was going to lose Half Life. You see, I thought you'd go for that early on. Right. So oh, then I was yeah. like, well, I'll get Thief and System Shock and go for that kind of era. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I see the logic there. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, my first pick of the two here. That's mm-hmm. my fourth pick. I'm making it very confusing for people. My fourth pick. Um, my next one, I'm going to take God Game or City Builder, and I'm going to take Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh, okay. Um, so this is like the ultimate uh, for the time. This is the ultimate roller coaster game. I love the shit out of this. Um, it unlike theme park, you could basically uh, craft your own roller coasters. It gave you the capacity to build your own. Um, which added like an enormous like layer of creativity to it. Um, full disclosure, <laughs> I work for the developer of Roller Coaster Tycoon Three. I feel like it's probably worth saying. Um, just that's <laughs> not influenced my thinking here, but like I was massively into this at the time. <laughs> that kind of like, whole balance of like money making, making sure people are happy, making sure the park is safe, but having these really kind of like cool roller coasters. Like, um, just really, really enjoyed that as a kind of management experience. This was like the most kid friendly of those types of games. I thought. Um, and I wasn't a huge Sim City guy. I kind of missed that boat a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, this is the this is one of those that I'm kind of that's my fave. I I like the um, I like the theme games like Theme Hospital and Theme Park. Those are those are really cool kind of accessible um, versions of this game too. Um, but like Roller Coaster Tycoon just has that level of depth that takes it to the next level. I think. Um, do you ever play this at the time, Matthew? No, I I played Theme Park on. I think I played it on an Amiga. Was that on the Amiga? Well, anyway, uh, I, I, I definitely played. Th- I, I definitely played a theme theme park at the time. Um, and yeah, not a, like I played it a lot, but also came to terms with the fact that I was never going to be a big building game kind of guy. Like I, I never, you know, once you got over the initial thrill of laying down, like you know, the basics of the park, I never really knew um, like where to go next. You yeah, so you build it, and then it's just about like sustaining something forever um you know like I'm, I'm in a way i'm like more interested in the genres like i think there are better like building campaigns or like more interesting campaign structures that people are like experimenting with now 
that I think yeah. were missing from these games. Like they're a little bit like just just go forever and enjoy. Um, well, you're kind of like I, I wouldn't conflate this too much with theme park. They're quite different. Um, this, oh yeah, like, oh, yeah. I'm I'm speaking I'm, I'm speaking purely about theme park there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So just in terms of like the the complexity of what you can build in this means there's like a really you can just keep going with it it's not like you feel like you're building the same thing over and over again um it doesn't it's not necessarily as staid as that um that's one of the things i just really like about it it's like a canvas mm. for you to sort of draw upon um yeah this is definitely that the game of that type that i loved the most at the time uh, my next two picks um for for 90 percent plus from pc gamer uh, i'm gonna go blade runner oh okay interesting another way to get a point and click in there yeah <laughs> uh, I, actually, I actually haven't picked point and click yet, but that was the 90 I wanted. Yeah, I see the cogs wearing though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is point and click. The weird thing, like, the weird thing about Blade Runner is that I, when I actually played it first, the thing which is best about this game is that it's a fucking amazing Blade Runner game, which was probably slightly lost to me because it took me quite a long time to really click with Blade Runner. You know, I think I watched it when I was a teenager and like didn't really like it. Like I, I don't, th- I don't think I was like my brain was sophisticated enough for it because you had this future thing. It was this detective um, story, so in my head it's like, oh, cool, he's gonna be hunting down these like evil robots and like blasting them. But then actually, you know, it ends up being very soulful. Like there isn't a fight at the end; the guy just curls up and dies. And I remember <laughs> thinking, like, well, that's a load of horseshit. Like, where's the fight? You know, I know he gets beaten up in the apartment a little bit and all that nail in his hand and all that crap. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think it was until I saw it at the cinema for the director's cut that I was like, oh shit, this is absolutely amazing. Um, so at the time, like the Blade Runner-ness of it, I think was lost on me. Um, but it was still like an absolutely, like, incredible looking, beautiful thing. Like it, it really, you know, the, the, the kind of pre-rendered backgrounds were just so gorgeous. You know, that art style really, you know, of, of, of the film married to it perfectly, um, you know the bits of the, like the iconography of the film like the the photo scanner enlarger all that stuff you know i could appreciate like oh yeah that's really cool that's just like being a detective if anything you got to be more of a detective and have more gunfights in blade runner the game than you did blade runner the film um it has this yeah big branching structure storyline to it it's kind of a real time element to it different things will happen at different times you can potentially get things wrong or miss entire encounters and the end can be quite radically different as a result um never fully kind of explored the full extent of that i must admit um but as like a crazy mood piece and i think like you know arguably one of the like the like greatest licensed games of all time i would say in terms of like absolutely nailing the the style and tone and being a really good genre fit for the film in question i think blade runner is pretty spectacular yeah i'm um i'm I'm very fond of this game it's my second uh, choice for point and click if i didn't get grim fandango um i did uh i played this for the first time a few years ago um, there was someone um, who I won't say in the PC Gamer office who had this on a memory stick, um, <laughs> and uh, I played it from there. But they have released it since on GOG. You can go get it now. Um, plans to do a, a redo were scuppered. Sadly, it doesn't sound like it's happening now from Night Dive, which is a shame because that would have ruled, I think. But um, yeah, what they um, oh, we think we talked about this in the Best Detective Games episode, Matthew. Yeah. Um, what I love about this is there are so many iconic shots in Blade Runner that if you've seen the film as many times as I have, and I'm sure many people listening to this are burned into your brain and you you 
those angles on those on that city is what you you know that is your perspective on the city and this kind of shows you what happens if you could turn left or right in that city right it's yeah, like yeah. it's so vividly drawn that it's like well what if you looked over here and saw what this location was and what if you went in there it just allows you to get deeper into that world as presented in the film it's quite it's such an unusual game in the sense of like it was a, a point and click game by westwood who were rts developers that was you know they had made the dune games but they were not um which was, you know, were licensed games, but they were not uh, point-and-click developers by trade. Mm. And it was based on a film that, you know, had a really good reputation, but had never been was never a blockbuster success. And like, um, arguably, it's it takes until two thousand seven for um, uh, people to really appreciate uh, mm. why Blade Runner is so important when the final cut comes out. So for this to just sort of drop in the late nineties, it's quite quite strange. Um, but yeah. that, I think that I... makes it a very coveted uh, coveted object. You know, yeah. I thought this was much later. I was like, "Oh, this was a '90s game. That's crazy!" Like in my head, this this looks a bit like a 2000s, early 2000s uh, game. I think that's it, generous. It, it looks like an FMV game from the time. I think. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Like it's the backgrounds you know, you, are pretty luxurious. They're nice, but like the resolution definitely reminds you that you're in the '90s. I I think. Maybe. But it's, yeah, it's not I mean, a slight like I say, I'm a little hazy with this period anyway. So. You know, yeah. stop trying to burst the blade on the bubble. <laughs> I'm not. I just told you why it was such so special. Uh, all that <laughs> after really I did all, with its shit resolution. All uh, that after I did the fucking heavy lifting for your Tie Fighter entry, my friend. <laughs> I did all the work on that one uh, to, to bury my own grave. On it, I watched like a seven minute video. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what commitment! Um, okay, fair enough. So, what's uh, your next pick, Matthew? No, I t- for strategy, I'll take Command and Conquer Red Alert. Okay. I am denied about this, I must admit, because I owned this game. I, I really wanted it because my friends had it. And a bit like I was saying with Theme Park, like, this was a game I played a lot. And then it made me realise, oh, I don't really click with this genre. You know, like, I don't really have the brain for it. That's why I asked you about Age of Empires, because I don't really know why. I feel like if I was going to have any relationship with this genre, it would have started here and then. And, and there were things I definitely loved about it. Like, I really liked the like the design of it. I loved the, the excitement of working towards something, like, really nasty sounding. You know, seeing things you could build later and seeing the little pictures of them and desperately wanting to build all these, like, horrible kind of electronic... Is it Tesla towers or Tesla coils and all that coils, kind of yeah. stuff? And there was there was definitely a lot about this game I, I, I liked the idea of, but I could never really make it happen on the scale. Like, my brain wasn't really good enough to make it happen. My favourite bit of Red Alert is probably the opening cutscene, <laughs> for that reason, <laughs> where Einstein goes and kills Hitler, I think. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah. And he says, time will tell. Time will tell. Um, that's what I remember that's burnt into my brain. And then the absolutely ferociously good theme tune to this. I watched that over and over again because that has a montage of like really amazing bits of action in the game happening. And then I'd be like, shit, it. I don't know if I got past like the first four missions of this. Uh, <laughs> I was so bad at it. But I did, I did, you know, I was very fond of it. And I appreciate it's like super important place in the genre i never really knew what happened to this series well look there's there's a lot to unpack here i mean first of all we have to go over the fact that you saying i only played the first four missions of this doing this game dirty to an extent that i can i can i can hardly tolerate frankly <laughs> like uh, this game is seminal my friend this is like um the the campaigns are really good but like the expansion campaigns are even better and then like the skirmish mode is where 
you chuck it all into a big sandbox to see what kind of sticks and then you get these kind of epic encounters of many many soviet mammoth tanks marching into a allied base to like um basically like run over all the tanyas and then blow up their power plants before they can kind of respond and just these really exciting dramatic moments of war the campaign has the kind of like fun tone and the silly cutscenes and stuff but like there's just so much depth to this game you can play it for like i play this for tens of hours matthew i thought it was so so good and like as for like the genre depth thing um i think that like what happened is that these short this is like it takes to the end of the noughties for the rts to like phase out a little bit and i think it maybe is more linked to pc gaming being like uh, like you have like games for windows live and stuff it's a bit of a bumpy era for pc gaming generally and then suddenly the sales expectations on hd games are just out of control and like mm. the kind of mixture of pc gaming audience at the time its size relative to how much these games were costing to make it was like sort of what happened to adventure games years before um mm. but it took a bit longer because rts games were always more popular what do you reckon about that assessment i think that's accurate as someone who like only really dipped a toe in the genre and i listen i apologize for, for not doing <laughs> this game justice no um, i did the same for Baldur's gate it's all good i'm gonna it's oh, no no like i you know i fucking hate strategy games and the idea you know I, it, talking about it in an eloquent way sort of escapes me a little bit um like <laughs> I, I feel you know, so bad now Oh no, no, it's fine. Like I, like my only real, me- ha- like my happiest memory of this is the opening cutscene and that level where you control Tanya. Because I was like, oh great, I don't have to do any shitty building, which I don't understand. <laughs> um, and uh, lots of dogs dying. Um, <laughs> I think that happened in this game as well. Honestly, like my my like first and last with this. So it kind of uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious about like where it is held in the grand scheme of things and. Yeah, you know, I I appreciate it's it's probably better than uh, <laughs> I've uh, explained, but no, it turns the course of the series. Um, so um, there is one other Command and Conquer game that happens in the nineties after this. It's um, Tiberian Sun, which was famously a little bit incomplete as an experience. Um, but whereas like Red Alert Two, um, I, I think is the best one, but that comes out in the nineties. Sorry, in the noughties. That's like two thousand. So. Um, you couldn't pick that one anyway and i think this is the best of the command and conquer games um i think it's like it's not very balanced like the allied units are rubbish compared to the soviet units um but like it's as a as a campaign pack it's just really really satisfying to play through this was like a this is like a pandemic bomb for me playing through these games right. and that lovely that lovely remaster collection that ea did um, obviously, like EA gets, um, you know, a, when people talk about EA now, they mostly talk about FIFA Ultimate Team like packs and stuff, and that's completely fair. But that Command and Conquer collection, man, had so much love put into it. It's like mm. one of the best, one of the best things of the last few years. I absolutely adored it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased this game's been salvaged. Cause it's an absolute classic. So, um, yeah, if you're gonna pick well, one, Matthew, I think it's a good one. Well, thank you, and thank you for salvaging. Uh... Uh, my in- defense slash inclusion of it. Um, I was no, going to pick fine. Commandos, uh, the real time tactics game, because I actually like that. Uh, Why do you pick that? That would have been fine. Uh, I feel like it's. I feel like it's. It's. I feel like it's too niche, and it, like I know we were talking about like not doing that. Has it been improved upon? But I, I, I think I think the the Shadow Tactics and Desperados three, like I find, I like it's kind of killed the early the early uh, examples of the genre, like like dead for me yeah i just can't really get over that um but at the time i loved the 
the kind of like the you know the art style of it those kind of like extremely detailed kind of miniatures that you were kind of looking down on like i you know i remember thinking they were some of the prettiest games of the time and i don't think that has aged massively like they still they still look pretty gorgeous to me but um was yeah, the second th- one in the 90s hmm? was the second one in the 90s uh oh i don't know because that that one was like a big step up it felt like um like presentation wise and all the rest of it and the scale it definitely felt like a, a big step up but um screamingly difficult though yeah really hard um, um but uh i felt like i you know i needed a in the genre where like you know in the decade of the rts to ignore it would be mad so yeah, yeah. i wish yeah, I'd, i wish i'd done more research on command and conquer red alert no, I feel bad now for Duncan. No, no, I, I feel like, I feel like I shit the bed with that. <laughs> no, it's fine. We're, we're, we're working too hard to please our listeners here. Like uh, we need to just embrace it, my friend. That we don't know what we're doing. Um, okay, uh, so it's my next two picks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so uh, I'm going to take category eight, ninety percent plus from PC Gamer. I'm going to take Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, which got ninety one percent back in the day. Um, so this game, I. The other day I was like, okay, I, I played this a bit at the time. Uh, I'll play it a bit now. Um, and then my entire Sunday night of six hours vanished down a campaign of this. This game is fucking amazing. So let's talk about Civilization, right? Because this game is kind of a reskin of Civilization 2, which I almost picked, right? Um, mm. Civilization 2, so much of like what is in the modern Civilization games is basically there. Like They've evolved in various ways, but like the core of Civ has always has always remained basically the same. And Civ two had all of that. Um you sort of like um you know you build build your cities, you expand, you build roads between your cities, um you choose what path you want to take. Do you want to go the economic route and um try and like uh, basically money your way to victory? Do you want to take the military route and conquer a bunch of places mm. um, while negotiating with these different world leaders? Um that sort of stuff. Uh, will you eventually drop a nuke on them? All of that sort of thing. This game is quite similar, like it looks quite similar, but the the, the premise is that you are basically like a rocket that leaves earth and then it divides into like i think it's seven different um pods and they are divided by belief there's like some incident on the rocket i think and then they decide to all go their different ways land on this planet colonize this planet and live by their own beliefs and it's about you building your colony uh, picking one of those factions let's say like one faction's like the kind of religious faction one's like the kind of mother earth faction one's like the basically like a rich wanker from earth faction like they they all kind of exist in this original sci-fi setting um and then you kind of go through the similar thing of like upgrading your different tech trees and unlocking new unit types and and things like that unlocking new building types that you can add to your different towns and stuff but it all happens in this really rich beautifully written sci-fi setting um credited i think the writing to um uh, brian reynolds who um yeah was responsible for the overall design of the game too and like i really love civ but i think i i want to pick stuff that I, this is like like relatively speaking i think this is the grim fandango of its genre in that it's like right. not, not the biggest selling one or the most like or necessarily the one that everyone remembers but i think it's just a bit classier um because like because it has the original sci-fi element to it it means that like let's say like you're researching like things like banking or nuclear power in civ here it's like you might be researching how to like 
basically um sort of go beyond your physical bodies and um <laughs> and like all this kind of like rad sci-fi stuff or mm. like um basically augmenting your brain your the brains of the people who live there live with um live in your colonies and stuff like that and it's basically what like gabe newell spends his days thinking about the <laughs> Hey, you said that, not me. But um, yeah, you know, it's, well, he does um, that. He's all like brain interface stuff, isn't he? Well, it's but it's just like basically every single after after a certain point, every single technology you unlock in Alpha Centauri is like, um, or Centauri, Centauri, isn't it? Is um, is that um, is something like Galaxy Brain, kind of like crazy sci-fi concept, right. and on the, along the way. Um, what is different between this and Civ? It's like the military stuff's really fun in this. So, um, you know, you kind of build like laser soldiers who are basically exploring the diff- across the planet and things. But um, when you un- research new technology, you don't necessarily um, get new units who make the old ones obsolete. You get new components of units. So you can build a, um, a you know, a-, a tank can become like a hover tank. And like a guy with a laser can be like a guy who's got like these kind of like missiles and stuff. And and you um, end up customizing your different like base types of units. So you, you're you basically like fashioning your own more and more powerful army. And it's a bit more in depth than Civ, which is kind of just like, how can I build as many fucking panzer tanks as possible? Then just send them across Europe or whatever. Like <laughs> this is just, I think it's just a more interesting version of Civ. So while I wait up picking both, I'm picking this because it's a fucking great sci-fi setting um and like a, a like a still a seminal um 4x game i guess um just I, I lost so many hours to it matthew and i was like this is like legitimately i think like probably my favorite game of the games i've picking on my list here oh, like, right, it's one right. that I'd, I'd really recommend it to anyone who's got like a passing sort of civ interest and can handle some 90s ass ui and menus um, <laughs> yeah. do you ever play this one were you ever kind of aware of it <laughs> no um <laughs> i i've Civ, anything 4X, I, I can't do it. I just haven't got the brain for it. That's the theme of this podcast. It's me revealing all my extreme limitations. <laughs> um, strategy games, um, building games, sim games, 4X games, basically the pillars of PC gaming in the 90s uh, <laughs> uh, are all things I know f- fucking nothing about. And now I, I just... I just I'm just scared of them as genres. Like I just can't I can't get into them. Like I've, I'm just out of it. Like technology has has escaped me, um, which is you know a sad feeling. I remember this particularly because, <laughs> like I, I you know I had friends who played Civ and I would go around the house and watch them play Civ and think like I have no idea what's going on. But I remember one of my friends had this and I remember thinking like. I couldn't even, you know, pronounce the name of the game, and he was playing it, and it was on. It is like you say, it's so galaxy-brained. I remember sitting in like his dad's study with him playing it, and me thinking he's going to achieve more in life than I'm going to. <laughs> um, Did he? Be- yeah, just because I didn't get. I was like, how can he? Like, I thought this is so grown up. Like, this is just how does he get this? How are we both, you know, in whatever? How are we both fourteen? But he understands this, and I don't. Like, mm. just terrifying. And you know, he's a. I, I think he went into maths eventually. He was a more of a maths brain than I am. But yeah, I remember like this is just. Yeah, it terrifies me, and I know that there's this huge chunk of stuff that I'm missing out on. Like whenever anyone talks about Civ, I just have to do that kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> Gan- Gandhi. <laughs> uh, yeah, and hope hope no one asks me about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I have a load, loads of respect for like how Civ has sort of maintained its audience by, 
you know visually getting uh, the bump and stuff like that and things like that but it does always still feel like the same game and but the, what i like about these ones is that like people might disagree with me on this but when i played these games as a kid i could really they, they look so visually simple they're such simple looking games in terms of like they barely have animations you're just moving little um basically little sprites around a map um like thumbnail sized images and i i was because i was a kid i filled in all the gaps in my imagination in terms of like what was actually playing out so right when i played civ 2's fucking epic world war 2 scenario where you'd load a map and then like it's absolute carnage in like the um british channel as like millions of german ships move out of france towards you and stuff and like it seems so exciting because even though like all the units were generic um all the kind of city names and like the fact that you weren't seeing any of it in any super specific detail meant that your imagination was doing the hard work whereas now Civ looks as modern as any other game so it feels like I'm just looking at Civ more than I was like looking at the story I was building in my imagination so Mm. I think that's why I think these ones still hold a special place the other thing about Alpha Centauri that I think it has over picking Civ 2 for this draft is that um, this hasn't been bettered in its very specific combination of what it does. Now, I know there are other sci-fi 4X games. I haven't played Stellaris, but I know that's more of a like galaxy-wide thing. This all happens on one planet, essentially. And it has all its different versions of Civ things, like basically like a fucking laser nuke, essentially, that you can use and then <laughs> horrify all the other civilizations with and they all declare war at your, on you at once. That's rad. Um, but um, they made Sid Meier's um, Civilization Beyond Earth a few years ago, which is a sci-fi one, but wasn't was quite coolly received. So this has never been surpassed, Matthew, as its own um, specific thing. But that's enough waffle about that from me. Um, I hope you. Uh, I hope some of my enthusiasm was infectious. Oh, yeah, you made um, it sound. Well, that's the thing. I know these games are great, and that's you know, it's I've spent years listening to amazing anecdotes about people playing you know this genre rather than that specific game. And just being like, why can't I make the games do that? Like, why can't I? Why can't I click with them? Yeah. Um, like, God, being sent to preview events for four. Like, uh, what was that? Fre- uh, is it humankind or humanity? Um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, humankind. Yeah, yeah. Like right. going to a video preview day for that for RPS, and my footage was just like unusable because it was just like, oh, here's someone who clearly has no fucking idea. Everyone else is like, oh, I've reached the moon. I'm still like the monkeys banging rocks together. You know, <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah. I don't know. If someone can te- point me to a video or teach me how to understand and enjoy 4X games, I mean, I, I would pay good money for that. It's a shame you missed uh, Civ Rev on DS. That was the one, I think, but um, it's, it didn't happen for you at the time, Matthew, such as it is. Yeah. Um, so my next pick um is it is my pick still isn't it the second one um yeah okay so i'm gonna take fps2 and i'm gonna take star wars dark forces 2 jedi knight (laughs) um so after i picked system shock 2 i wanted to pick something that kind of straddled the different types of fps that happened at the time something between that kind of like doom style the the doom equivalent of star wars was dark forces is basically a doom clone a very very good one um this is kind of like the quake era sort of star wars game but like had much more storytelling than dark forces did um you play as kyle katan this guy who in the game starts as a smuggler basically starts as han solo then ends the game as um as luke skywalker or darth vader that's the whole thing about this game is you um jedi knight as the name suggests you you find um you go back to like your 
at the home planet where you grew up and you find your father's lightsaber and you learn that you have basically this, this jedi part of you and then you st- slowly accumulate your powers as you go first you're kind of like a little bit weak but then by the end of the game you choose to either be you know like a, a dark jedi master like a sith lord or like um uh, you know a, a, a light side jedi essentially and there are like um really corny live action cutscenes with um that tell that story um for you so there's like a, a branching path there between two um two finales which seems so exciting to be at the time but the core the core of the shooting was so so good so on that level it was great and then um the lightsaber stuff is slightly weak is definitely weaker in this than it is in um, jedi outcast and jedi academy where it's really really refined but um uh, just a, an absolutely classic 90s shooter um because it did both at the same time seems so exciting to me it was like i talked about this in the guilty pleasures episode there was that fallow 90s star wars period before the prequels came out and this this was one of the mo- this is one of the main events for sure so um yeah mm. happy to pick it matthew um i'm guessing you didn't play this one either no i, I didn't i didn't j- is it Jedi Knight 2? That's like later, early noughties, right? Yeah, on GameCube, I think. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I played like that of them on PC and really, yeah, really, really like them. Um, uh, yeah, I, I remember the box box for this. Like, it's a real 90s artifact. Um, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's... Oh, God, what terrible commentary. I remember the box. <laughs> No, that's fine. I've I've got I've got just a slightly more to say on it as well, which is this also gets me the mysteries of the Sith expansion, oh. um, where you play the character Mara Jade, who basically like um, has to. This the first mission of that expansion is actually like one of the best missions of any of these games. It's like a rebel base being invaded by um, Imperial officers and stuff. That's it's so it's such a good level. Um, but like um, basically the whole thing in it is that Karl Katarn has turned to the dark side and like you get to the end and you're, it's about pulling him back from the brink so you are playing his like um, apprentice slash friend um, and yeah basically learning that your master has actually crept over to the dark side and trying to pull him back doesn't have quite the same production values as um, the original Jedi Knight did but I really like that as a counterpoint kind of expansion at the time so mm. that gets me that too Matthew so what's your nice. next two picks? Look at you loading up with all these extra games <laughs> well, I um, guess you, I get the red alert, uh, yeah. counter strike, and the other one. What the Aftermath. Yeah. yeah, you got the the giant ant missions. Well done. Congratulations. Yes, you. I love those ants. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Albert Einstein goes back and rides an ant or something. Um, uh, right, what have they got? Uh, God game or city builder? I'm going to go with. I think I can get dungeon keeper in this category. Yeah, I know nothing about that. So uh, go ahead. Yeah, um, mainly because I think there should be a, a Bullfrog game in the mix. Feel like a super important developer of this era. They're kind of like, I kind of put, I sort of put them in with like Rare as like a very British company. Like there's a lot of like humour and weirdness in their games. They kind of mess around with like genres and do quite a lot of fun twists, um, which is something I always associate with Rare. Um, yeah, you build, you are... Um, uh, the dungeon keeper you build uh, a dungeon and um fill it with monsters um it's kind of an interesting thing in that you're trying to like almost like lay the right conditions for the monsters to come you're kind of trying to tempt them there so like building certain room types draw certain monsters there um and then it's kind of about sort of about like keeping everything kind of playing nice and working nicely together and then also defending the place and i, I think what it actually does is um, it addresses the 
the thing I was saying, like the problem I had with like theme park, in that like there seems more of a purpose. It's kind of like build it and then make sure it 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 you know there is an actively hostile force coming in, you know, rather than just like boredom or fatigue or vague business concepts, which is kind of the enemy in in most building games. Um, here it's kind of like you know people coming in, things coming into your to your dungeon. Um, I think it also just it just has a lot of character, like you know you are you know you are playing a you know a kind of a cruel monster you know, monster who runs the dungeon and because of that there's like that character creeps through in like the way that you can treat certain creatures you can kind of slap them about there's also like fun stuff where you can kind of like possess the creatures and go in and like directly control them kind of take you into to really see this kind of world you've built from the ground i just think there's there's you know a lot a lot of charm in it um Again, not not a genre I'm like super super crazy about, um, but I yeah I just remember this being a uh, uh, having a, like having a few more sort of strings to its bow than than a lot of other things, or certainly enough to kind of like hold your attention. I did think about Theme Hospital, but again, once you've actually done the building and you've seen like the funny illnesses and all that jazz, it just becomes the kind of chore of running a hospital. Um, where I think this has got a bit more kind of a of a a kind of shape to it. Oh, okay. Well, I, I had no idea that was kind of what it was. I always thought this is like an RPG-ish thing, but I'm probably thinking of uh, Dungeon Siege there. Um, that's right. that's on me. <laughs> yeah. This is just a knowledge gap for me. I, yeah, I very it's... much remember the two main char- the two characters who are on the artwork. They were very uh, very distinctive '90s ass. Uh, yeah, uh, like, yeah there, there are other things like I uh, like the evil genius is basically this again. Um, right right yeah except it's a bond layer and you're the you're the villain so it's quite similar but yeah there's so you know also like the look of this it's got that sort of uh, terrain defamation stuff which bullfrog had like i think it's the same engine that they made like weirdly like the magic carpet games in so it's mm. that kind of slightly undulating kind of organic feel to it like it feels like sort of pillars and mounds of dirt um i think i read somewhere that like the kind of block the kind of aesthetic of this where you kind of chip away at blocks of like dirt to kind of dig out the dungeon um was an early inspiration for um notch when he was making minecraft or the proto minecraft um i think it's a quietly influential game um quite british i don't really know what it's like rep a lot of this bullfrog stuff feels like it's a sort of frozen there in the 90s and like did anyone play this outside of the uk i'm not entirely sure but um (laughs) yeah like I'm, yeah, I'm glad it. I'm glad it existed. I think this is a, a you know, a, a quirkier pick in amongst some of my bigger hitters. Yeah, um, yeah, they were like, uh, yeah, I think like I think Bullfrog had that cachet outside the UK. I did think about picking one of their games because what I do like about their games is that they are they do have a, a little bit of chill about them um, compared to like some of the the more intensive semi stuff you can pick from this category. Um, so yeah, they they are, they are a good hang, Matthew. The uh, yeah. games. Um, so yeah, I like. Uh, I think that's a good pick. Um, so what's your next choice? Um, for point and click slash adventure game, I'm actually going to pick Gabriel Knight Two: The Beast Within. Okay, never I never played that. Um, I I played this way after the fact on Steam. I bought a big Sierra bundle a few years ago, so I'm not going to pretend I have like a huge attachment to it. But of all the Sierra things I played from that bundle, um, this was the one where I was like, "Oh, this is this is actually re- like this feels like a really delightful '90s artifact." Um, 
the first Gabriel Knight's like a bit more of a traditional kind of Monkey Island looking kind of, you know, point and click interface and everything. This one is like an, it is an FMV adventure, which I think is probably why, you know, like I didn't have a huge interest in it because I was, I don't know, as a genre, I always thought it was a little bit like naff and gimmicky. It didn't really speak to me, but um, it's incredibly charming. Um, and it ha- it has this like extreme nineties energy. The the people in it, um, you know, all the dialogue scenes are you know video sequences played with actors. Um, it should be really hammy, but they've I don't know they've cast it really right. Like there's no one re- really recognisable in it. If you look up these people, a lot of them have got quite strange careers. Like the guy who plays Gabriel Knight, who is called Dean Erickson, is now just like some big sort of stock trader philanthropist type it's not an actor at all um but um they look like they just they just look like 90s ass people which which i really like like it has kind of a twin peaks energy to it weirdly where you know the costumes and the hairstyles are kind of of that era um the kind of music the sort of synthy music has a bit of that twin peaks energy to it it's definitely an influence on this um uh, gabriel knight himself is kind of like a sort of uh, he's an author, but also a supernatural kind of investigator type. So he gets pulled into the first game is all sort of voodoo related. This one is werewolf related. Um, it's set in Munich, which is really odd. So you've got this like F and V stuff, but like all the cast are, I assume, Americans pretending to be German. But it's right. quite ambitious in that it's trying to like whisk you to this whole other location, um, like. I can see some people looking at this and just thinking, man, this is just so fucking old looking and like tired and dated, but it's, uh, I just think it's executed really well. It's, it's really charmingly written, um, like Gabriel Knight and his, uh, his sort of like, uh, sort of sidekick who's called, uh, Grace Nakamura, I think, um, just have like really good energy. They're really like sort of like fully drawn and, and like the performances are really committed, um, I like the supernatural story of it. Like, I actually think it's it's like pretty decent. There's a little bit of like almost like Dan Browniness to it in how it kind of pulls on like real history and pulls kind of like landmarks and things into it, but in quite a quite a cool way. Um, I just thought I, I really liked discovering this. I thought, oh yeah, let's put this on. This feels like something which is you know slipped through the cracks. I don't see it talked about a lot at the time. It was absolutely you know uh, cherished and celebrated. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll go for that. So, have you not picked a LucasArts point-and-click game yet? Am I right thinking that? Not yet, no. Okay, that's weird. I guess you do still have some categories for that. Yeah, um, I... A lot of them, and I know, like... A lot of them I played on the Amiga, and I know it's sort of you know, sort of sim- similar space, but I... Uh, yeah, I just... You know, I, I wanted something that sort of existed because of a CD-ROM, you know? And the FMV-ness of this, it couldn't have happened otherwise, so... Yeah, I sort of see your point, but like, I don't know, there are so many games that seem so you from that crop, crop of stuff, like the Monkey Islands, Indiana Jones, Fate of Atlantis, like all that stuff seems very you, so... Yeah, well, we yeah. can still get a bit of it in. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, being a bit premature there. Right then, let's go with Wildcard, Category 9. I'm going to take Free Space 2. Do you know this game? Uh, I, I, Let's say no. I do know it. Yeah, I, I vague idea, but I couldn't draw picture of it <laughs> yeah so it, you could argue like this probably wouldn't be a wild card to people seasoned pc gamers who were there at the time but i think to most people it would be because it was quite a 
a poor selling follow-up to a i think it was like a spin-off of the descent series which are kind of like tunnel roaming kind of like space kind of shootery games this mm-hmm. is like a proper sort of space combat simulator um with these like um at the time extremely impressive kind of like fleet battles and stuff going on in the background just extremely beautiful looking um volition developed this matthew um oh. uh, now obviously associated with saints row they made yeah. some quite odd stuff for a while they made maybe the summoner series they made those rpgs quite uh quite a strange uh strange bunch of stuff before they settled into uh, wacky open world things um so yeah like um i this was free on gog a few years ago i think it was in obscurity for quite a long time before that um the other game i thought about for wildcard was outcast but i think it's just two shit <laughs> um oh. that yeah, like uh, open worldy, uh, so, like open world at the time, but just too. too <laughs> That's dem- in contention for my free pick. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> well, no, it's it's fine, perfectly fine to pick. It was just until a few minutes. It's just ago, too shit. <laughs> well, no, it's just at the time. Like I know that like they've done that remake of it that runs a lot better. It's just like it was. It was a super early open world game. Like it deserves credit for that. It was you know really impressive for the time. Yeah. And, like, no, I. Um, I- I agree, <laughs> but like, but like ran I think ran at like five FPS for most people on their PCs, just a bit too demanding and unfinished. Um, so I, I thought I'd pick this instead. This is like right at the tail end of the nineties uh, again. It's a nineteen ninety nine game, um, but I think it's kind of spot on. It's exactly the sort of thing I'd like for this. I, I could have picked it for Sim, I suppose, but I didn't think enough people would know it for Sim. So I thought I'd just pick it for this category instead. So available on GOG. And uh, according to Wikipedia, has had mods for it based on Babylon 5 and Battlestar Galactica. I won't be playing those, but I wish the creators of them uh, the very best. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just one of the most beautiful of this um, uh, sort of genre. Next up. Uh, so uh, for my second to last pick, I'm going to take um, free pick and I'm going to take Starcraft. Um, oh. So I just needed... First of all, I wanted a Blizzard game in this list. I thought about Diablo. I'm not a big Diablo guy, really. I'm not a big loot kind of guy. I yeah. thought about it, though, as like for a bit of variety. But I ultimately thought, because you took Red Alert, I wanted another RTS that was like sort of in that vein. So I've gone with uh, with this instead. So, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't uh, get into this quite as much as uh, Red Alert at the time. I was like, I was Red Alert was a little bit simpler for me to understand, uh, maybe a little bit uh, less sort of demanding. But these are games that had really fucking good um uh, sort of like campaigns and it had um these two really distinctive uh, sides that launch in the um protoss and the zerg and they were just like really different from each other really kind of beautiful looking original sort of sci-fi setting they built um and just like uh yeah just just sort of so so kind of like compelling um was re-released a few years ago um people seem, seem to really like that re-release which was nice always found it funny that this game had an n64 port don't know how that fared i can't imagine it was uh, very good um but yeah like um not a game i've played for years and years matthew and um but i was like uh, i was like i was definitely kind of a fan of it so i think as a kind of shooty shooty uh sort of um rts which i did want alongside age of empires which is quite different uh this was this was kind of my pick do you ever play starcraft at the time or is it another strategy game you just didn't really get into yeah i've never not, not played a minute of it but, uh, it's my second to last pick matthew so we come to your last two picks yeah so for free pick uh, I'm going to take Curse of Monkey Island, um, the third Monkey Island game, uh, which uh, was only on PC, I think. Uh, came mm-hmm. out in 1997. Um, I thought it was like one of the most amazing looking things I'd ever seen. This is where the 
And the art style of all the Mankind games are radically different. It's something um, Ron Gilbert talks a lot about now that they're doing five, and it feels like it's been a not backlash, but like some people are like, eh, not not entirely sure on like the concept art and things. And he's like, well, this is a series which reinvents itself visually every every game. Um, this arguably is like the biggest leap. It really became like I know I, I would have said at the time like Disney quality animation. Um, Maybe that's overdoing it a bit, but it had like a much more kind of hand, sort of big hand drawn kind of crafted style, um, like production values. Absolutely stunning on this, like the big lush orchestral music. Like it was everything I loved about Monkey Island just kind of really amped up by what felt like, you know, newer technology and, and probably a fair amount of money. Um, all the characters were voiced for the first time. I actually thought um, the, the, uh, I think it's Dominic Armato who they've cast as Guybrush um, and then subsequently when they did the limited the special editions of one and two went back and revoiced Guybrush there like he is the voice of that character for me like I think he's a really really good fit for the character um, like I I, I I don't really know where it fits in, in like fan rankings this one but I, I, I always loved it I thought the puzzles were really good I, I think it's like pretty much as good as as one and two um like I, I don't think it just because a lot of the people who are involved with one and two weren't involved with this you know maybe the temptations to say eh not as good i think four is bad and i thought the telltale ones were bad um but uh this one like great characters introduced murray the talking skull had loads of really good cameos that really understood the characters and like did fun things with them um really good puzzles um like, I think the the chaps who kind of headed this up were quite heavily involved with Full Throttle, which is probably why it has that slightly more kind of, like, cinematic sheen on it, because that's kind of what, you know, Full Throttle's whole deal was. Um, this is, yeah, I just I just really like it. I mean, people may say you should put one and two in, or like you say, Indiana Jones, Fate of Atlantis. I loved them all, did play them on the Amiga back in the day. This this felt like, this this was making more of what, power there was on pc another thing where i rewatch the opening cutscene again and again if there's a theme to this draft it's that i love the opening five minutes of lots of games um because it played like a huge orchestral version of the curse of monkey island theme tune and i remember uh, the monkey island theme tune i remember thinking like you know this should be on a cinema screen this sounds so good um yeah god i love this game yeah, this was out of circulation for years, this, because they did those two special editions of the first two, right? And then this um, this just wasn't among them. So I think it was only a couple of years ago it came back to GOG. Um, yeah. So uh, you say that this uh, is this not as regarded as well by like the quote-unquote fan base, Matthew, as the first well, two? I, really? I always thought that was the case. But now that like people, you know, that a load of conversation flared up about um monkey island again because of the new one and yeah. actually i suddenly heard loads of people going like oh is this character from you know is murray from kurt basically people love murray the talking skull mm. and it it was like oh actually loads of people like this game like i i i assumed people were sniffy about it um probably because like a couple of quite prominent um games critics were sniffy about it on rock paper shotgun uh <laughs> but actually it's no it's good um uh, it's you know great in fact um I think two is still the best, but I might put this one over one. You know, I, re- I loved it. It's really good. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, so I'm glad you got one of those games in there anyway. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, had, to, I had to squeeze it in somewhere. Um, I, pro- I, I would have put Grim Fandango on there, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to make a big deal of it. 
<laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, well, uh, hey, you know, um, the better man won, question mark. We'll see you in a No, listen, weeks, I, I it's a game that I actually played this time, so that's good. That's no, That's no. got to count for something, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's tough out there. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. So we come to my last pick, Matthew. Well, I've got my wild card. Oh, sorry. Yeah, of course you got one last pick. Sorry. Uh, what to do with this? This is a tricky one because, like, please pick Minesweeper. <laughs> I don't know if I do want to pick Minesweeper. <laughs> um, I do love Minesweeper though. <laughs> uh, <sighs> When I made that joke on Twitter, I did, there was a little tinge of truth to it. I was like, he might pick Minesweeper for wildcard. Yeah. I you might win like on novelty if... alone there. Who knows? Yeah. I... What is a true wildcard? What is really odd? H- heads is a good wildcard. Was that the 90s? <laughs> I'm not picking heads. <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick the Grand Folly that was Jurassic Park Trespasser. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Which was the first person, uh, came out in 1998, uh, infamous for having basically like a, f- it's a first person game where you've got like a fully simulated arm <laughs> and yeah. you have incredible control over this arm and like wrist rotation and wrist bend. And imagine a first person shooter where like you have to like really maneuver your arm around to like shoot things and we're talking about quite fast moving things i say it's a folly like i think the actual idea of that is like inherently fucked because it's just it's just really really inelegant having to like move this arm around but at the time like i remember reading about this and thinking that sort of sounds like the future. If you were listening to last week's episode with Andy Kelly when I was talking about the cupboards in Shenmue, I had a very similar reaction to this, where it was like, you know, there it was, oh, imagine a world where you could, like, open every door in a house. I was like, oh, shit, I thought that would be amazing. And here it was like a first-person game, but you have, like, full control over your arms, and, like, any action you want to do, you've actually got to do it. I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's definitely the, the next step forward. That's what all games should be. Um... It had crazy physics stuff in it. There was lots of, like, you know, you could pick up you know, big bits of wood and then swing it about freestyle to, like, whack velociraptors around the head. On paper, this stuff all sounded great. In reality, it's a bit of a nightmare, but it's not, like, a total car crash. And I think it is a bit of a... It's got, like, a bit of oddball kind of curiosity energy to it in that people um, should see, like... Something that was hugely ambitious, was trying to do interesting things with controls, had, like, very advanced or, or like, an over-reliance on quite mad physics in it. There was a lot of, like, pushy boxes around and things collapsing. It's a little bit, like, like proto-Far Cry in some of, like, like, the original Far Cry, in that it's kind of, like, quite wide... Is it wide linear, they call it? It's not open world, but you have these huge levels with dinosaurs roaming in them, and it... You know, on paper, the fantasy of, like, you are in... Um, not Jurassic Park, it was the one from The Lost World, is it Site B, um, is where it's set. And it is actually, like, it's got, like, I think it's got, like, weird connective tissue between the two games. Like, there's all, as you go around the island, they're not audio logs, but you get all this commentary from Richard Attenborough playing um, uh, John Hammond, talking, like, not just clips from the first film, like, he's talking about the grand project and what he was trying to do there. So, like, there's a bit of weird Jurassic Park lore element to it as well. Um, at the time, I only ever had a demo of this, which is kind of all you really needed to see that it was a little bit bought. Um, 
but this just feels like a real 90s <laughs> a real 90s thing um which people should probably experience for themselves <laughs> so i admire what a like sort of burn down the house around me um sort of like pick this is like i'm i'm out of here baby and then just like setting fire to the carpet kind of energy <laughs> like um edge magazine matthew two out of ten um <laughs> CVG, one out of ten. Uh, qu- quote, Trespasser is possibly the worst game I've ever played. It's, if, you go, if you go on YouTube now, you'll find a lot of people who are kind of like, you know what, there's something interesting about this. Yeah, you know, I, I think Andy Kelly did a thing on it a few years ago. I can't remember if you liked it or not. Um, like, yeah. I'm not trying to sell you it's a good game. It's not. It is a wild card. But it is something which, like, you know, it came out before Half-Life. And... Like it had, it had big ambitions. Like it is a vision of the future. It's like one that's a bit unfinished and like doesn't really stick the landing. But it's a huge swing, and I think that's like, I, like I'm confident enough that I've got some pretty like mainstream stuff on on this in this compilation that I can have something a little bit quirky. Weirdly, this game was headed up by um, Seamus Blackley, the the architect of the original xbox oh yeah yeah quite a character that guy yeah so it's weird he gets really arsy on twitter if anyone ever talks shit about trespasser which <laughs> um, is quite funny i'll make um, sure i don't i don't ever do that uh, in this in in uh, polite society then just uh, keep my trespasser takes to myself hopefully he doesn't listen to this yeah um, like i i like when i said it was a proto far cry that isn't me trying to upsell and say it's good like it's it's a bit like that in structure um but, you know, check it out. Your health meter is a tattoo on your breast that you have to look down at. <laughs> yeah, that's like the original um, uh, sort of Dead Space, um, what's it called? Um, oh, diegetic. diegetic. yeah, that's it. You can, uh, Because of the simulated limb, you can bend your arm around and shoot yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just like in real life. Um, and often yeah. you just drop your gun because, like, it clips on something or, like, the physics go mad or you walk too near a box. <laughs> Okay, well, that or Free Space 2, you, the listeners, can decide. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you know what, though? Actually, this category, I had a few different suggestions for it. I almost picked the... Um, if you ever played it, Matthew, side-scrolling shooter called um, Raptor. Um, I feel like everyone had a shareware copy of this at the time. Um, when I got uh, a gaming PC, um, it was one of the first things I bought on GOG. Just a really uh, great, fun little side-scrolling shooter. I thought about that. Um, mm-hmm. I see most people don't remember it. Um and then I also thought about Virtual Springfield, the Simpsons thing, um, uh, which is almost a point-and-click game, but not quite, you know. I, I was thinking about the uh, the Simpsons cartoon maker for Sim. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have just had a software category on this. Just um, got, yeah, really gone for it. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I will say my other wildcard picks I was thinking about was uh, LucasArts The Dig. Oh yeah, that would have been a great one. I'm surprised yeah, they Yeah, it's... I, I, want, I wondered if it was too big and too, like, legit good to be like a wild card but it's the LucasArts games that like people hated at the time because they thought everything should be like Monkey Island and Zany and this was like an inc- incredibly like solemn space adventure it was a lot more like the abyss or something it was very like super dry but now we're all adults you can play it and go oh yeah this is quite sophisticated <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was about to say um can you really call it like um uh like a wild card when Steven Spielberg was well, that's, uh, directly uh, yeah involved. exactly that felt like bullshit I was also toying with um, Discworld Raw. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's quite a wild card. That would have had to be point and click, I think, or free pick. Do you think um, so? Yeah. Yeah, it's very well regarded, that game. It's just not easy to get now, you know? Yeah. That's, but, yeah so, yeah. there you go. But the Trespasser is a true wild card. <laughs> um, <laughs> I it. Like, it got 70 from PC Zone. So I do I do like a pick there that's go. got the, the twos and the ones and oh, the sevens. Oh, yes. That's... Uh, Big back page energy there. Um, <laughs> right, finally, Matthew, I'll bring us to the end of this fucking long draft. I don't know how it's gone on for so long, actually, but I um, hope people have enjoyed it. The uh, My last pick is for Category 4 Sim. Um, Going to take X-Wing Alliance. So, um, basically, Matthew took TIE Fighter. I did want TIE Fighter. This is, like, visually a massive step up from TIE Fighter. There's, like, a big gulf between, um, between these earlier games and this game. Does that make it better? Not necessarily. Um, this has you playing as rebel ships again. This included a really good rendition of the Battle of Endor at the time. Let you fly the Millennium Falcon in the kind of like um, sim style way um, that the um, that had been pioneered by uh, Totally Games across the X Wing series. Um, really, really um, good. Really, it still looks like I think it still looks. It doesn't look like a modern game, but it's the definitely the nicest looking of this series. This is the last of the X Wing series. Get your sort of um, joystick plugged in. Enjoy kind of like flicking your power from your um, your different uh, between your engines and your lasers, and um, moving your shields backwards and forwards depending on how the f- the sort of battle's going. All that stuff um, was extremely uh, cool and like so nineties PC gaming that I had to honor it in some way. I do have mm. some free space too in there, but I wanted one of the big obvious space sims from the time too. Um, and this was a huge deal to me at the time. This was like right smack bang in the middle of when I was reading PC Gamer. And the the box art for X-Wing Alliance of the Millennium Falcon flying towards the second Death Star is one of the most beautiful bits of artwork I've ever seen. Um, just absolutely loved it. Was so excited by this as a kid. Even though as a kid, I was not quite good enough to play these games. Um, right. <laughs> uh, now I am as an adult. I can, I can enjoy them. Um, so yeah, but Matthew, I'm guessing you didn't play this one like you didn't play Tide Fighter. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, it sounds uh, great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like that, that is. I think it's like. I think it's like. Um, it turns this pick, this category, into almost a draw, or uh, arguably a draw, just by being uh, visually a bit of a step up yeah. and having a. Um, yeah, having having kind of having the Millennium Falcon to fly, which is why I wanted it at the time. So, where, where does X Wing versus Tie Fighter fit into things? I think that was multiplayer only, you know. So I never oh, played okay. it. Um, and then X-Wing, I think, is just considered worse than TIE Fighter. A um, bit more opaque, a bit more annoying. Um, mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but Matthew, you, I, I will cop that you got the you got the right game for that category, I think. Um, I mean, so that's good. It, it was that or nothing. So, yeah. And actually, I do, and I do realise, looking at my list now, my list is so late 90s PC. And I do wonder if some people might rankle it like not picking doom or ultimate underworld and stuff like that um but i've just i've i've think, I've, yeah, I've picked a list of things that were legit important to me at the time and then yeah. a couple of things that uh, <laughs> i needed to pick because matthew took um red light and to tie fighter so yeah I, I, I picked loads of stuff that i bounced off but i think you're gonna love if you vote for me <laughs> yeah okay um so let's go through the different um picks here matthew people can vote a back page pod we will now go through our list so um, category one, FPS one, I picked System Shock two. I picked Half Life. Category two, FPS two, I picked Star Wars Dark Forces two, Jedi Knight. I've got Thief Gold. Category three, God Game or City Builder, I picked Roller Coaster Tycoon. And I've got Dungeon Keeper. Category four, Sim, I've got X Wing Alliance. I've got Star Wars Tie Fighter, my favourite. <laughs> Category five, I've got Age of Empires two, Age of Kings. I've got Command and Conquer Red Alert. Fuck's sake. Category six, <laughs> RPG, I've got Baldur's Gate. 
pearls before swine. Um, <laughs> Planescape Torment. Category 7, point and click slash adventure game. I've got Grim Fandango. I've got Gabriel Knight 2, The Beast Within. I'm sure that's allegedly good. Uh, category 8. It's uh, nine... good! <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that that series has got a fan base. Uh, category... Oh, so, no, no, no. I know it's like... Uh, that's That whole Sierra side of things is just not something I understand. But I no. totally get it. It's as big as LucasArts, just diff- in a different yeah. way. Um, at category 8, 90% plus from PC Gamer UK. I've got Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. I've got Blade Runner. Category 9, Wildcard. I've got Free Space 2. I've got Jurassic Park Trespasser, baby. <laughs> Two out of ten from Edge. Uh, category 10, I've got... <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the lowest Edge score in a draft <laughs> ever. Yeah! Surely. I don't, know what, I don't know what Red Faction got, but I don't think it's Oh, we did get way. two from fucking Edge. <laughs> I probably give it a seven. Uh, Edge at the time probably gave it a five, but uh, no, no, that's, uh, it's a good point. Um, yeah, it's a, that's so funny. Uh, category 10, free pick, I've got StarCraft. And I've got Curse of Monkey Island. And just a reminder that if there's uh, expansions that released in the 90s for any of those games, we get those too. I will note those in the the tweet that I put out just so people understand. Oh, your list is going to be fucking stacked. <laughs> Uh, maybe okay, fine. I'll just say it's on the. I'll just say that on the podcast and not let that. Well, you can the list. put in brackets plus DLC. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. Those are those are two good lists, Matthew. Like I um, think they're I think they're great lists. Um, yeah. I I wish mine was a little bit more lived in, but I I, I did my best. Yeah, for sure. Like you are in the position I've been before with N sixty four and stuff, where it's a little bit of a punt. I don't know. Maybe I knew more about N sixty four than you know about this, but you know, well, I you definitely knew more about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you absolutely gave it your all, though, and I really appreciate that. And I could tell you were <laughs> fucking stressing out trying to like do this properly. Oh, so that's just hard. that's the level of effort Matthew puts into this podcast. Um, if you'd like a... to, if you'd like to reward him financially for his efforts, patreon.com slash backpagepod. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew. Should we do a 2000 to 2005 PC draft at some point? Do you want to do... So you want to divide up the different... So will we do another one that's like late noughties too? We could do that. Yeah, potentially. I just think late noughties... Yeah. I think I think more... Intri- oh, well, we can discuss it. We can discuss it. <laughs> no, I, think no, I, so- I think there's something in that. No, I think so too. And, you know, based on the response to this... Because uh, I forget that, like, a lot of your audience comes from RPS. A lot of my audience comes from PC Gamer. It makes oh. sense that people are interested in hearing us talk I've, about this stuff. I've lost uh, any audience I had from RPS <laughs> in this episode. They're like, fuck me. Did you hear him trying to describe Red Alert? <laughs> I only played the first four missions he and Einstein killed him. And, t- and a Tesla coil. <laughs> <laughs> to it's me, Red Alert's about electrocuting dogs, and that is it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, at one point I think like I did visualize the like one mission you were describing um, to like uh, sum up your entire Red Alert experience and had a little chuckle to myself. But <laughs> look, Matthew, you picked well, so thank you. Um, and trespasser backpage pod. <laughs> if you'd like to vote, pinned tweet, and we'll um, add the winner to the podcast description in the coming weeks and tweet about who the winner was. Talk about it on the next what we've been playing pod at the start of July. All that fun stuff, uh, Matthew. Where can people find you on social media? Mister Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts. Thanks so much for listening. Um, you can email us at backpagegames at gmail.com, backpagepod on Twitter. Um, if you want to tweet at us, uh, there's a Discord that you can find through the Twitter too. And like I say, patreon.com slash backpagepod. If you want two extra podcasts a month, this month that's Best and Worst E3 Moments and um, Best TV Shows of the Century, another episode that's um, having Matthew pull his hair out um, trying to pick things for it. So um, <laughs> you can support us at um, the £4.50 XL tier, um, support the work we do on this podcast, and then um, get some um, extra podcasts for your trouble. So um, thank you to all those who support us so far. And we'll be back next week with a new podcast. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.